Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks, first one of 2024, or first one recorded in 2024, anyway. This is Jay. And I'm Shanna Abilene. We're going to get that medicine to those kids. <laughs> Such We're going to post intensity. a podcast. <laughs> Uh, every single line intensity. the exact same delivery yeah there, there's it's... never any variation in shane abilene he's just <laughs> he he exists only on the covers of romance novels he's he's a fabio type he only speaks in euphemisms only there is that one scene where it is him and donna and they just hurl euphemisms at each other for like six full minutes and it's just I get it. <laughs> Every single one of these is a dick joke. <laughs> but you know what? That's all Shane gets to do in this. In oh, this it's true. Movie. He's he is otherwise basically not in the film. That that is sort of a weird element of this one. You have really just the girls. It mm -hmm. is uh, Donna and Taryn's solo effort. Whereas, like all of the other ones, there's a whole team. Yeah, there's there's stuff going on. Everybody's got like their side operations happening. There's I not think much that... of that here. This one's definitely no. much less energetic. There, uh, it's it's not as filled with content the way the others have been. I I think part of that is they just spend too much time getting everyone to the Savage Beach. Yeah, like there's a full hour before anyone's there, before everyone's <laughs> yeah. there, rather. Yeah, no, the first people to show up there, uh, it, yeah, it's about 45 minutes into this hour and a half movie. Yeah, and it, a lot of the stuff getting there is just people driving places. Uh, there, It doesn't have a bunch of stuff along the way, the way the other ones tend to. Like, the, the other ones, you just have crazy action sequences all throughout it, like the hard ticket to Hawaii, the sex doll thing happens oh, God. early on. <laughs> yeah that's like the middle and, of the movie and the thugs there and in a lot of the other ones too they have personality and here they're just thugs they, yeah they are completely generic in this one uh, so this is savage beach 1989 director andy sedaris this is what the let me see the fourth in the malibu bay films um but fifth right, of his was... that we've covered because seven was before that but not really part of it Oh, okay, so this is number four. Then my theory, I don't know if I've mentioned my theory on this show before, but my my theory of uh, fives, mm. that if if a franchise can make it to the fifth one, then by the fifth one, they've either got it completely figured out, and it's awesome, like in the case of Fast and the Furious or Gamera, or, mm. or it doesn't quite work, or they're just kind of done. Or they're just kind of doing the same thing over and over again now. Yeah, yeah. And, and I kind of thought that this might be the fifth one. So I was like, oh, man, if my theory is true, then this series is probably not going to go much further. This is the fourth. Fifth one is yeah. guns. And there Ooh. are uh, <laughs> one, two, three, four, six more after this. Okay. Or six more <laughs> after guns. Uh, let me see. Yeah, there's guns. Uh, do or die, hard hunted, fit to kill, enemy gold, the Dallas connection, and oh. uh, day of the warrior. <laughs> oh, and return to Savage Beach. 
yeah. <laughs> they go back, I guess. Yeah, return to Savage Beach. Of course, I think this is the final one with Terran, unfortunately. Donna yeah, continues that's... to be in them. I I love these two as a team. Me too. And I'm gonna be sad to see her go. Yeah, I I well, Terran is definitely the more interesting of the two. Donna is kinda she is a little flat in her delivery. Uh, obviously not flat in her attributes. <laughs> Andy Sedaris film. I mean, come on. Uh, but she doesn't have as much personality as Taryn. Taryn's the civilian. She's always stealing shit. She's going off on crazy romances. She's falling for bad boys. <laughs> and she gets away with everything. That's, that everything. seems to be kind of an unwritten rule of these films. Taryn gets yeah. what Taryn wants. Yeah, Taryn's always the winner at the end. Uh, whereas Donna is usually just someone who is there to have a romantic affair with uh, another Abilene. <laughs> this one happens entirely off screen, but you know what's happened. Basically, yeah. And it's it's kind of surprising that it does because the sex in this one is maybe more explicit than we've seen up to this point and there's probably more nudity per capita than any of the previous ones that might be true there's like it, the nudity is heavily amped up but the action is scaled quite a bit back yeah yeah so over the opening credits we get a quote-unquote ninja i guess <laughs> 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 oh he trained in the way of the samurai he does not want to bring dishonor to his clan he's he's our elderly uh <laughs> right. samurai. that old age makeup i mean wow wow <laughs> so, so bad. bad some of the worst oh i've ever God. seen <laughs> do they just like put some paint on a plastic bag and paste it onto his face <laughs> I'm not sure what the issue is. Like, there's two guys in this with old age makeup. And the other guys isn't good, but it's nowhere near as bad as this. I think it's just that they tried to make him really wrinkly to kind of suggest that he's been out in the sun on this island for 60 years. Oh, God. Yeah, it doesn't 45 work. 45 years, yeah. No, it doesn't work. He looks absurd. It's just like, why does his face look like that? He's like a young guy with a weird fucking melted face. It seems like he feels like a zombie in some of the worst zombie films I've seen. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. Uh, like Zombie Lake. He, he could totally pass as a zombie in Zombie Lake. <laughs> and he doesn't even talk until the very end either so mm. he could be you, you might be thinking he could be a zombie <laughs> yeah so he's michael mikasa as the warrior <laughs> so he's practicing his sword skills on a beach at sunset over the opening credits opening credit theme fine closing credit theme spectacular mm. maybe my mm -hmm. favorite thing about the movie yeah, that's that's probably true as well. Back to survival. It's just been running through my head for days. It, it just and and the synths on that are just perfect. It's got that real mm. low roar of synths and fucking rules. So we we start with Donna and Taryn just riding their jeep through the jungle really fast, 
And there's also these two ladies on scooters driving up to the docks. They're going to be secret agents or evil thugs. Yeah, you know, it's got to be one of the two. Uh, <laughs> and the, the guy is there is like, hey, docks closed. It's Sunday. And the girls pull out a thermos and like, it's time for refreshment. And they all they they each hook up with one of the guys and go to make out somewhere which obvious <laughs> distraction it's like okay are they good or are they bad <laughs> one of them is just wearing a bra yeah <laughs> of course <laughs> uh so donna and taryn arrive just just after that and there's a van sitting outside with the doors left open uh so they get their weapons ready obviously yeah <laughs> Uh, and they, they start looking around the place and Donna finds, she finds like a box of pineapples and just one of the pineapples has just a lid that you can open and it's got a bunch <laughs> of cocaine stuffed in it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Very simple. I want... <laughs> but well, you know, better than some of these smuggling attempts we saw in our last last week's movie oh yeah i mean it's it's not dissimilar to an anota plot and like i thought it was also really interesting that we have this whole uh both in this and i i haven't mentioned yet we're gonna do an episode of ultra q as well uh we've got the uh, uh they they both refer to this thing of the japanese soldiers who don't know the war has ended have just been abandoned on these remote islands for years yeah, that's that's weird how that lined up. Yeah. Uh so Donna goes and serves a warrant to the warehouse operator guy, uh, who just pulls a shotgun at her, fires. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So you, you gotta have an opening firefight. And it, i do agree that it's totally necessary here because it's a long time before we get much action again. Yeah, we only have one real action scene after this. Although we do have one really good explosion in the middle. Oh, that's true. Like uh, <laughs> that, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the dude, uh, but the British guy getting blown oh, up is super good. The guy that I thought was the professor, but he's not the professor. Uh, Paul. Paul is the character's name. Uh, so, yeah, they, there's a firefight. Uh the girls outside hear the guns, so they pull guns and say, you're under arrest. Like, okay, so they're they're on the good side. We're probably going to see all of them in a hot tub together. And we do. We... <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> and they're probably going to help solve a lot of crimes. Well, <laughs> no, Maybe not in the this subsequent time. features. I think these are the lethal ladies, and they'll be like her backup in the, the rest of the series. Oh, okay. Okay. So there's Rocky is one of the two. She's basically Edie, right? Because she's got Rocky. She was Edie. Yeah. It, it, she's just it, like she has the same restaurant. It's just Rocky's instead of Edie's. Yeah. Yeah. And her whole thing is like, man, why did I make running a restaurant my cover story? Yeah, it's really awesome. hard to run a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. It's like working two jobs. Uh, I, I'm literally running a restaurant and also being a secret agent. It's a lot of work. Uh, and Don and Taryn are like, well, yeah, I mean, we, it's the same problem for us. We run a cargo plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like charter and tourism, we do a lot of shit. 
I mean, it's it's why the spy business doesn't actually work like this. <laughs> uh, so uh, the dude who she's uh, trying to arrest knocks her out, runs inside with a shotgun, and Taryn fucking annihilates him with a newsie. <laughs> Taryn is just killing dudes in this, uh, more so than I feel in the others. She just, like, blows this dude away, squibs like crazy. Man, she must be a full-fledged agent by now, you would think. But You'd think. She still says she's a civilian at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and that means she just gets to do whatever she wants. License to kill. <laughs> oh no, I'm a civilian. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's the the other girl. I can't remember her name offhand. Uh, it, it, I think I have it later. Uh, the oh. blonde one. But she and yeah. the guy are struggling, and Rocky shows up and puts a gun to his dick, so he surrenders. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, like, the warehouse guy and this other dude who we haven't seen yet, and they take off in the van. <laughs> but they only get about <laughs> 20 feet, because uh, Donna's le- or Terrence says... Come on, I've got this handled. And she presses a button and it fucking blows up. <laughs> Kaboom. Uh, Turns a murder monster. <laughs> she's actually going nuts in it. These guys don't get killed, though. They're just really badly burned because they have them sitting next to it afterwards. And they've just got like burn and scorch marks all over them. They're all bloody. Oh, the bird makeup is a lot better than the old age makeup. Way, way better. Uh, I mean, they've done more of it. It's something mm. they're familiar with doing. They, they know how to show <laughs> wounds in these movies. True. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they, but she does threaten like, yeah, if I have to do this next time, it's going right under your ass. The bomb, that is. <laughs> so, of course, the four girls go and they debrief in the hot tub. All, all four of them get naked so we can see everybody's breasts. Be brief. <laughs> yeah, I saw what you, know? you did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just four naked women together in a hot tub who've never heard of a lesbian. No. <laughs> Weird element of this series, right? <laughs> yeah, gayness just doesn't exist, even no, though there's gay I'm men. sure... Because we've yeah. also oh, had, yeah. like, we, we've had uh, several we've gay had the men. two henchmen. Yeah, and uh, several uh, trans people, but yeah. no lesbians. Lesbians do not exist in this series. It's crazy. Well, because you always. Did. There's so many times, in, like, how are Donna and Tara not kissing in this scene? <laughs> <laughs> so it's the because it's they know we're up. watching. Yeah, because, like,. They get in the shower together in the the previous one in the boat at the beginning. It's like in any other movie they would be kissing. Yeah. It's very strange. <laughs> so meanwhile, on Knox Island, they're out of serum. The children <gasps> aren't going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> These children don't look like they're not going to make it. They look like they're annoyed. Yeah, I really love just the. You, you get just a few people doing the cough cough in the background I'm like okay yeah uh everybody's dying i guess <laughs> they look perfectly healthy oh, one yeah. guy's got his arm in a sling yeah he needs serum for he that. needs he needs serum for his broken arm uh so knox island is one of the marshall islands so it's pretty distant and they're all really 
scattered, hard to sh- hard to find. Okay. Apparently, uh, that's yeah. that's what they say in this. I'm I'm not oh, right. familiar <laughs> with nautical aviation or whatever. Nope. <laughs> so they call Honolulu, and Andy Sedaris is there to take the call. He's, uh, he's you know different job in this one. Yeah, I, I was actually disappointed because I was like, oh man, this means we probably aren't going to get a sportscaster side plot. Right. We aren't. No, we we totally don't. Uh, all of the previous ones, he's been whitey, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I think and that was has, his character name and he was just a sports announcer dude interviewing people. He has people. nothing to do with the plot, No, nope. but he's always there and he's always fun. I, I miss, I miss oh, yeah. him. He doesn't really have much to do in it. And again, yeah, I would have liked more Andy being Andy. It's like, it, it is fun. Uh, but he well, just... I mean, he's, a, he's a traffic controller here. He could yeah. have helped with the search effort for the Savage Beach. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple times I think he he's like, again, in a radio call. But yeah, he, he doesn't have any jokes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bummer. But he calls Shane Aviation. Uh, so, <laughs> Shane Abilene. He he's uh, going to be the Abilene for I think the next three or four films. So okay, it is arguable that he's Abilene Prime, but I don't know if I'd say that. I mean, he maybe is the most condensed Abilene, but would you say that he is the Paper Jam Abilene that we've theorized on in the past? I think <laughs> so. Yeah. I think yeah, he is what you would get if you photocopied cody four times (laughs) (laughs) just nothing but sex jokes and no emotion (laughs) well no so much emotion (laughs) right but like just the same we're sorry one emotion (laughs) got to save those kids this god once you got it cocked (laughs) we'll save those kids I've got a real big one for you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's kind of absurd. It's like you you photocopied them a bunch of times. You just slipped like uh, an overlay of a Fabio painting in there somewhere. <laughs> so he's making out with a busty naked girl in a pool. Obviously, why wouldn't he be? <laughs> <laughs> I love how his secretary is just watching through the window. Is like, oh yeah, he's having a he's really pressed up against this new project <laughs> yeah everyone around him speaks in euphemism as well constantly <laughs> he has this aura yeah he's like a vortex of euphemism and that's all that exists around him so i'm course- just imagining if he was around when uh, the japanese guy was giving his speech at the end <laughs> <laughs> i, I would have liked more of him in the movie because yeah he's Honestly, ridiculous yeah. but he's funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i don't even remember the the last abilene or the last yeah. two really yeah there was i mean cody is the greatest <laughs> of course Cody's unquestionable so uh but yeah, the other ones, they're both sort of okay, but they're just guys who can't shoot. And that's sort yeah. of the joke. But they're there. They're along for the ride. <laughs> this guy's just not in it. No, he's there to give Donna her guns and not interact with Taryn at all. Yeah, not at all. I don't think they appear, they're they in the same scene until the last shot of the movie. <laughs> Where everybody's with their boyfriend and one of them's with the naval captain. Hell yeah. 
just because he's a good guy now, or he was sort oh. of a good guy before. I don't know. They're all sort of criminals. He's, I think he's the only one who's not in on an evil plot or an ulterior motive. Right. He just wants to recover the gold. Uh, yeah. and that's Picasso Trigger again. Oh, John that's Priya. right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Captain Andreas. Yeah. So, of course, uh, Shane takes the job and he passes it on to Donna and Taryn. They're like another Abilene, <laughs> and I oh, feel yeah, the he same does... way. <laughs> That's friend. right. He doesn't even do the job; he just makes them do it. <laughs> I I was thinking while I was watching it, one thing I would love way more than the Expendables movies would be the Abilenes, and get all of the actors who played the Abilenes together and have them go on like a. You know, boob comedy type adventure. You know, they like these oh, Andy Sedaris ones. Wouldn't that be tremendous? That would be amazing. <laughs> but if I don't Andy know who Sedaris could do it. Block- <laughs> well, Sedaris, he he is deceased, unfortunately. Oh. He, he died oh. some time ago. His son directed the last two in the series. Oh, I, I thought because he appears on the intro to these, right. I thought he was no, still those, around. Those are from the original DVD releases. He died in 2007, actually. Oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess he's not going to do that. <laughs> but his son could because uh, yeah. he he did direct the last few Malibu Bay films. So I don't know. I okay. just really I, I don't know how those ones are. I actually haven't seen those ones yet, so hmm. I can't say for sure. But I... I'd just like to see the Abilenes. I think that would be really interesting. Uh, yeah, and of course, bring back uh, some, basically any supermodel and have them just do all the work. Sure, I like. I'm, I bet Julie Strain would love to. She's in all of the intros. She seems to have grown up on oh, these yeah. movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. So one of the things that is a detriment to this movie is you've got a lot of getting into copters and getting into jeeps and driving the jeep somewhere and the jeep drives up to the place and (laughs) there's there's a lot of shoe leather more than you need because like you always have had that it's just usually something happens along the way or you've at least (laughs) got a gorgeous vista to look at like when they're flying through the mountains in hard ticket Right, exactly. And then you've got the song Hard Ticket to Hawaii as well. (laughs) I love that song. That's great. Having moving back to survival somewhere into the movie and having us uh, and and doing one of those vistas, like maybe on the flight there, that would have been good, too. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, (laughs) we, we get the scene of Donna and Shane talking about his special equipment (laughs) endless euphemisms nothing but euphemisms well i'm not too impressed by size i'm more concerned about performance (laughs) yeah uh and you know obviously he's got a an exploding crossbow for taryn her favorite kind of thing (laughs) that explodes three seconds after penetration (laughs) yeah that's her problem that's her problem and it's like only one shot (laughs) which is not true not true she's got a bunch of them she blows up a tree with it at one point yeah so they're also expecting a big storm so there's a really short window of time and 
we get them traveling and we get this weird detail about, oh, Terran's grandfather died in the South Pacific in World War II. The body was never recovered. It's like, okay, we're he's going to be related to the story somehow. <laughs> I don't know why or how, but they're going to find his body or someone's going to know him. <laughs> yeah, she's like, it's going to be really weird for me going back to that part of the world. And it's like, well, Karen, you don't act like it's really weird for you when you're there. Yeah, and also, you've never been there. It has. You, I don't think you ever met your grandfather because he died in yeah. World War II. You're definitely not 44. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Then we see this dude. All, like it, while they're flying, there's someone on a motorcycle going over a bridge, and we don't really know who any of these people are. With like again, just seeing people going places, like I don't even know who this character is yet, and I'm just watching him travel. Yeah, but we get the cool bridge, so I was the bridge is at nice. this point. I'm still on board. Yeah, I mean, I'm I don't dislike this movie. I I enjoyed it. I think it's fun. It's just there is a loss of energy from the previous yeah. one for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I, I still had fun. It's just yeah, yeah. not as good as the others. Yeah. Uh, it, it does feel like it's maybe settling into a rut more than anything. Mm. But Martinez, who's Rodrigo <laughs> Obregon, who's in all of these, I believe he was Seth back in the day. <laughs> My, you know what? My headcanon for this movie is that that actually is Seth. He somehow survived all the shit. And glued a mustache onto his face, <laughs> and everyone just believes he's a Filipino. Well, and somehow he's in the government too. Like he is a government <laughs> agent of the Philippines. Uh, I thought I thought that the twist was going to be that he was not a government agent, but no, he seems he, to be. He really does seem to be. It's just he's crooked, and he's trying to fund a communist revolution. Apparently. Uh, so, so the whole time I'm watching this movie, I just think that there's one evil faction, and this guy is just replacing <laughs> everybody in this operation with his own people. It's so it complicated. Out, there's so many factions. So many factions. Everybody is getting replaced by somebody, and they all work for somebody else, or they've got some other motive. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, like this guy on the motorbike. Yeah, Harrison, uh, in quotes, because that's the name we're given for most of the movie. We don't learn his name until the final scene. Oh, yeah, I, I don't remember what it is. Uh, Bruce Christian, I believe. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll see when we get there. There is a dude who's Bruce Christian. I think that's him. Uh, so... Martinez, uh, Rodrigo Obregon, is meeting with John Andreas, uh, or uh, John Apria from the last one, Picasso Trigger. Yeah. And he's calling Martinez a bleeding heart liberal because he <laughs> wants the national fortune of the Philippines back that was stolen. <laughs> you bleeding heart liberal, how dare you want your country's money back? <laughs> All that stolen I gotta gold. wonder how much... How much gold was really stolen? <laughs> it seems like, like it must have been a lot. It must have been, but it's a very small boat that they end up using to transport it. It's true. I mean, it's just, it's a small box of gold bars. It doesn't seem like it's that much, but especially for how much they're doing to get it. Like they're hacking into the Star Wars system to move satellites to uh, search for the gold for a couple days. Yeah, like the the 
the captain's involvement in this seems to be a little on the shady side. Right. I, I mean, everybody is shady. Every single person mm. seems to have all sorts of uh, additional motives behind them. <laughs> so they say, all right, the data is on a computer disk and it's being ferried here with Major Harrison. And we see the motorbike guy uh, with the help of the driver of the car, like the guy who is <laughs> driving Harrison, which means like this goes deep, this conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess uh, once we find out what this guy's deal it is, is, it does make sense. It does. It totally doesn't make sense for the entire movie until you know who this guy is. And like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense then. Uh, but he goes by and he shoots a dart into Major Harrison's neck because the driver like rolls down the window for him. <laughs> And it's like, hey, why Driver? are you rolling down my window? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> like, uh. And it seems like he's dead, but he must just be knocked out. They put him in a van and uh, Bruce, I think, changes into his uniform. And he's just going to be Harrison for most of the movie. Until, like, the final shot, really. Yeah. So he shows up as Harrison. He's delivering the disc to the computer room where Martinez and uh, uh, Andreas are. And I find I'm not a fan of uh, Bruce Christian. The the actor, <laughs> the, the, the actor is Bruce Penhall. He's not very good, at least in this. He's not playing it well. He, he seems ridiculous. Yeah, like he's so he's confrontational. <laughs> he's acting like yeah the way he's acting i expect him to be one of the bad guy thugs right exactly you know he's a bad guy because he's obviously acting like a bad guy and I'm like what are you doing you're supposed to be you're not even the bad guy like in this movie you're not the bad guy as it turns out so it's yeah it bizarre. Would make sense for this character to keep an extremely low profile <laughs> but instead he's like antagonistic he keeps like getting in people's faces it's like what are you doing? I, I suppose maybe it's he is not an actor. He is an athlete. Mm. Uh, he was a motorcycle champion. Oh, okay. A motorcycle racing champ. So, I mean, that's that's how Andy knows him. There's a lot of supermodels <laughs> and there's a lot of athletes in these movies. There's not a lot of actors in these movies. No, and honestly... That works if you're, it does. especially if you're going to have them do what you know what they're known for, like the martial arts guy from the last one. Oh, I even miss Jade. Totally. Uh, I, I it would have been nice if we had Bruce doing some motorcycle stuff. That's not just driving a motorcycle to deliver a disc. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, we get our technician Paul. He takes the disc and he uh, looks up some information. Tells the you know we we get a printout and there's all the we're narrowing down uh, where the shipwreck could be, where all this lost gold is. Uh, this actually takes about three scenes for, for them yeah. to finally figure it out. Yeah, we, we keep narrowing it down. We we keep looking at the disc and we narrow down details because we we get our uh, Admiral Inada, who's dying. He's the one with the not-too-bad-old-age makeup. Yeah, he... Yeah. Uh, I'm not going like, to say it's good. I'm just going to no, say that it's nowhere near as bad as the other one. <laughs> I'll say it gets a pass, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's 
revealing the secret of the looted gold that you know it was looted from the philippines during world war ii it was loaded onto this boat we get a flashback yeah and he's, he's talking to this soldier who's like oh i was raised in the way of the samurai i will not go against the general deeply deeply serious just to the most mm, sincere yes. and serious man uh <laughs> And yeah, he, he sends him away with the gold. And so he has the details they need to finally narrow it down the third time. It's like, okay, we have the data about where it could have been based on where they were sent. Yeah, but at some point, the agents who were interviewing the Admiral, uh, uh, this I think this happens actually quite a bit later, they yeah. get replaced. Yes, both of them get replaced uh, by Al Leong <laughs> and someone else. Uh, Al Leong being a dude who's in lots of cool stuff. He's in, uh, he's one of the main dudes in um, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, okay. He's a, I think he's in a bunch of Carpenter. Uh, so Tana, er, Taryn and Donna get to Knox Island, they deliver the serum. I had thought that there would be like a ticking clock that they had to get there, but no, they just deliver it and that's taken off the table. Yeah. Which again is another <laughs> thing is like you, you could have added extra tension by just shuffling those. But... Yeah, replace one of the narrowing down the disc data scenes with them doing something on the island. <laughs> Somebody wants to stop them from getting the serum to the kids for some reason. Yeah, or just, like, I, I mean, move them delivering it to after the rest, and it, it, it creates a ticking clock oh. to make the, the rest you have to get done quickly because you still have to deliver oh. the serum. Right, right. So they, they get stuck on the island with the serum. Right. Oh, that'd Wouldn't be, that be way more better. Yeah, th then you have some more tension, but I don't know. Yeah, because these kids are going to die of boredom. <laughs> They're going to die of... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Martinez goes and he meets Paul in some desert. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> I don't know where uh, he gets the disc. And I mean, you should have seen it coming, Paul. Because like they, they talk, he's like, you don't need to count it, do you? He's <laughs> <was> like, <laughs> no. Like, all right, have a blast. I was like, come on, dude. You know, he's going to give you, he's giving you a bomb at this point. How are you not checking? <laughs> He gets like 20 <laughs> feet away and explodes him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did you not know? Uh, but I really love, like, Rodrigo Obergon, one of my favorite people in this movie. He's very funny. He really mm -hmm. digs into the role. And he has this great line, don't spend it all in one piece. And his laugh <laughs> at his own joke is so good. It's like, ah, <laughs> tremendous <laughs> i love it because it's such a bad joke but... yeah but he loves it and that's what matters <laughs> yep so uh, taryn and donna change shirts in the planes we can see some breasts again <laughs> <laughs> it's been a full what 20 minutes since last time it's gotta be like at least 10 <laughs> it's too yeah. long uh so martinez meets up with his mistress uh, oh yeah, the where, uh, where we learn about the revolution, or communist revolutionary. She's, she's super serious about it. Uh, they're they're very about the cause, and they're also really into each other. We have two like very long, explicit sex scenes with them. One oh, right yeah. here. <laughs> they get it on, and it's weird. We have a couple of those, and then she's very unceremoniously killed. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, just to add another faction that I don't even know the people who killed her who they're working for. They just, they're they're working for themselves. They're random mercenaries who just want the money. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Donna and Terrence plane gets hit by lightning. So the compass is fried and they're going down. And Inada's guys, like his two dudes who are at his bedside as he's dying, who he gave the details to, they arrive in Honolulu. And they're tailed, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, they're, they're in this hotel room and the two guys who are replacing them show up, Eric and I don't actually know Al Leong's character's name. I, just... I think it's, <laughs> I, I was just looking at the credits, but I, well, I'm not sure, but he might be called Fu. He's got the, the Fu Manchu beard. Yes. Yes. He is Fu. Uh, looking that up uh but yeah al leong great uh he's uh one of the hatchet men in big trouble in little china uh let's see he is in lethal weapon uh action jackson he's one of the bad guys in die hard oh god i've seen this i've seen a lot of these he's genghis khan in bill and ted's excellent adventure Uh, well better than john wade (laughs) oh yeah yeah he he's in so much stuff so him and his buddy eric they deliver a basket to uh inada's dudes in their hotel room and then they just immediately break into a kung fu fight obviously (laughs) of course Uh, and they they kill them with their kung fu and take their identities (laughs) they've got like this portable passport forging machine rules you know they're ba- they're big ass spies yep <laughs> so don and Taryn, they they spot land they glide in for a soft crash landing and i mean the amount of coincidence in this one as well that they happen to land on this beach of all beaches where people of just this day happen to be going <laughs> when there are when we find that there are so many different islands that this boat could have washed up on yeah it's it's it, it does strain credulity a little bit <laughs> but i bet they're gonna have to get naked in order to survive they may uh so eric and foo uh they use the ids to get into the Pearl Harbor Naval Complex, which I think is where all of this stuff has been happening, where we've been seeing uh, I Andreas and stuff. think so, but it's not super clear. Because, they, yeah, they, they meet up with Martinez and Andreas there, and they review the disc. This this is the third time, I think. <laughs> they are really going over this disc. And now every single person... Or at least I'm thinking now that every single person in this room, except for the captain, is under uh, Martinez's control. Right, except they're all different factions, and just nobody's <laughs> who they're supposed to be. They're all just under assumed names, and it's like, this is why it's hard to get some of the names in this movie, because they just yeah. are a different person most of the movie. <laughs> yeah, because I'm still thinking the Major is his guy as well, because we still haven't seen who he's working for. Yeah. I mean, it, it. We we will not reveal that for a very long time. <laughs> it's one of the last things. It, it, yeah, I think it's revealed after Donna and Taryn have already left those dudes. 
I think you're right. <laughs> so this is where they use the information from Anata to finally narrow it down enough that like, okay, I'm pretty sure we've got this now. And the, the where we get the line, that's one hell of a savage beach from Captain Andreas. <laughs> uh, which I don't know how savage that beach really is. It's not that savage. Um, I, I, it's just like, I bet no one's ever set foot on that island. And it's like, surprisingly, a large amount of people have. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the remote secluded woods and don't go in the woods. Everybody's just there yeah yeah because i mean the amount of coincidence in that not just that donna and taryn happened to have crash landed on that one of all islands but that kind of getting ahead of things but it's also the island that taryn's grandfather died on and was never found <laughs> uh, <laughs> an island that has like one of those soldiers who doesn't know the war is over i mean necessarily because he's the samurai who was who had the gold. So Don and Taryn, they get out of the plane. Uh, and they're obviously on a dirt runway. Like it's clear that they're on a runway when <laughs> you see them on the ground. It's like, hmm, I you could have just shot above <laughs> that, that line of that's fine. Uh so they walk around and they're spotted by a lurking ninja, the one from the opening credits. <clears throat> and we we see Harrison in quotes. He's going to be flying there under radar tonight. So they're it, it is like even with Andreas, like they're going under radar. They are doing this covertly. Yeah, it's never really official on any capacity. Yeah, this this whole thing is like if it's so could. <laughs> i don't understand no i don't really get who's like i don't think anyone's on the level except harrison ultimately ultimately yeah yeah because i thought the captain was on the level but yeah he kind of doesn't seem now to he be. seems like a bad guy yeah uh so they they all make the plans and then we see martinez and they're in his his revolutionary girlfriend they get in the back of a taxi and they have a really hardcore sex scene in the back of the taxi <laughs> you see like the taxi driver looks like oh it's like okay weird <laughs> yeah so don and taryn build a lean-to they collect some coconuts obviously they go skinny dipping because why wouldn't they <laughs> how else are you gonna survive it's been like five minutes since we've seen them naked i mean come on yeah yeah uh, so Shane calls up Rocky and Patty's the other girl, the blonde one. Oh, okay. He's like, it's an emergency. Uh, so we watch them get dressed, and then we watch them drive over to Shane's place. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember this. I didn't think Shane showed up again until the end. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's just amazing that he's like, hurry, it's an emergency. There's a big problem. And then we have no urgencies like we see them get dressed we like watch them change clothes <laughs> we watch them get in a jeep we watch the jeep drive up to the place I'm like i'm not feeling any urgency here that's that's the thing with this whole movie yeah we we have to watch everyone go to where they're going yeah so often 
So obviously it's about Donna and Terran's plane going down that they've lost contact. They've got some Navy searching for them. Uh, and we cut to them and they've found mysterious footprints on the beach. Dun, dun, dun. And the ninja grabs Terran. Uh, <gasps> and Donna shoots like a flare gun at him and he just takes off. <laughs> Fucking ninja. <laughs> Weird oh, character. So later they're sleeping and there's just like a tiny rustle in the grass and they fucking go ham. <laughs> yeah, if that actually was him, he'd be dead. They just pumped that patch of grass full of lead. Just so many bullets, they explode uh, what turns out to be a chicken. <laughs> so now they have dinner. <laughs> the guy's like, oh shit. Like They pick up a leg and a chicken head and like, well... I guess we've got dinner then. <laughs> Good shooting, Donna. And then they put on a bunch of camo and they go hunting for the ninja. Obviously in short shorts and white crop tops, like on the poster. Yeah. Uh, oh, of course. Yeah. Really going to blend in with that camo. <laughs> <laughs> Good ninja well, hunting gear. And this is where we finally see the ninja's awful old age makeup. And it's finally where we get close enough to see it. It's like, what? Come on. Are you kidding me? This is terrible. It is. I'm trying to think if I've seen one worse and I don't know if I have. It's mind boggling. It's so funny. <laughs> like, I thought, like, is he supposed to be like an undead monster or something? <laughs> Are we going supernatural now? Yeah, it's it's bizarre. Uh, he like because it's clearly a young dude who's pretty fit, and uh, he's just the they tried to make wrinkles, and it does not look realistic. <laughs> no. So Donna gets caught in a leg trap that he's uh, set, and they face off with him for a second. And I guess he he looks into Terran's eyes, and as as we'll hear him say later, I couldn't kill those eyes again, and he he scurries off. What a coincidence that <laughs> that it happened to be the granddaughter. It's insane, and they have the same <laughs> eyes, and he can just recognize that from like looking into a guy's eyes 45 50 years ago no 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 he has a photo of him that he took out oh, of his that's wallet because right. that's what he does right away is he he scurries to his footlocker and he pulls out this photo and he looks at it and is like must have been her or it must have been like one of his relatives that's incredible yeah for a second i thought the baby was supposed to be taryn but that no that doesn't it, make no, sense. no it's it's taryn's mom Okay. I guess it would have I to guess. be, or maybe one of her aunts or something. Yeah. But the, the level of coincidence is pretty absurd. Mm -hmm. So the plane arrives with Harrison, Andreas, and Martinez. They start searching, and Don and Taryn, they recognize that this isn't a rescue plane. And they're just hanging back. It's like, uh, we better just see what these guys are up to. May not be on the level, and they're not. Well, one no. of them maybe is. <laughs> but, uh, it's hard to say. It's really hard to say. <laughs> they're using metal detectors to find the gold, but it seems like they're using like radiation detectors. They like click and they're holding them up. They're they're not like on the ground. Yeah. Um... I don't know how it's exactly working. 
uh, you know, it's the same technology <clears throat> that you use to make passports in your pocket. Yeah, it's it's a science sci-fi detector. Like we'll find the gold <laughs> with this thing. And they're being stalked by the warrior, obviously. I mean, the thing is, if the gold is somewhere on the island, they should figure that someone else was there with it, right? I mean, obviously, they wouldn't necessarily expect they're still there. Yeah, but... but you'd look for some trace of where someone had been. Either that, yeah. or you'd expect it to just be on the beach, because it would just wash up there. Yeah, yeah, but... <laughs> they're in the middle like... of the island. They go straight to the middle of the island. They're looking in the bushes. Yeah, they're digging through the bushes. Yeah, I... I... <laughs> like, are they just going to go through every individual bush row by row? That seems to be the plan, and it works. They find it. <laughs> with, bound with the detectors, so... I don't know. Anyway, sure. <laughs> Andreas, uh, Andreas is the first one to spot Don and Taryn. He sneaks up on them and he has a gun on them. And uh, they note that it's been four days, which I did not expect. Yeah, it feels like they've been there for an afternoon. Yeah, it seems like it's the next day and that these guys showed up, but it's been a few days. They they definitely look well, they're they're well made up. They've got their hairspray. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, they they've had food to eat. They've had coconuts. They've had oh yeah, no, fried they, chicken. They're having kind of a Gilligan's Island sort of vacation here, <laughs> kinda. <laughs> uh, but they get tied up, and a boat arrives with the the with the ninja bat or the the kung fu bad guys. We've got Eric and Fu <laughs> and Martinez's girlfriend and a couple thugs. Oh God, yeah, Martinez's girlfriend's outfit, as she's like standing on the boat, serious black leather with like all sorts of metal studs on the on the bra. It's absurd, yeah. And they're all dressed totally in black, so visible for green and white island. Like I, I again, I don't know what, what any of these people were thinking with their choice of uh, fashion for this covert mission, supposedly. Well, maybe they, you know, got there a little early. The boat was faster. They thought they were going to get there at night. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so Andreas finds the gold. Uh, the detector finds something. They dig. They find it. And the ninja shows up and frees Terran. So they realize that he's sort of on their side. And they hide his existence for a little bit. Mm. So Martinez's dudes show up. Or who he thought were his dudes. Uh, <laughs> and they say, we're going to be taking... They're like, the girl is like, we'll be taking the gold. And she comes up to him and they make out real hard again. And then yeah. Eric just blows her away. Yeah, just no warning, no no words, just bam, shoots her. Yeah, just blows her away. And they take Martinez's guns. They disarm everyone. Uh, both uh, Martinez, Andreas, and Harrison. It's like, hey, Captain, did you know that he that this guy was going to give the gold to communists? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love how much. Yeah, Al Leong's character hates communists. He's just so <laughs> mad about communists. <sighs> uh, so one of the thugs, we get his name when the ninja throws a machete through him. They go, Tony. <laughs> oh, oh yeah the huge guy <laughs> yeah rip tony 
and everyone runs into the jungle, you know, total chaos. <laughs> so Donna and Taryn, obviously they run into Harrison and Andreas and they team up with them. They they claim to be the good guys. <laughs> I don't know if there's any good guys here. <laughs> there don't really seem to be, but they're like, uh, I guess you're too well. It, it is Taryn being like, he's too cute to be a bad guy. Right. She right. immediately has the hots for him. <laughs> yeah, that cute little blonde couldn't kill anybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think he was her boyfriend in the previous movie, too. Yeah, he was Hondo in Picasso Trigger. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but That's the, funny. In the next uh, one, two, three, four of these, he is Bruce Christian. Oh, okay. So this character recurs for the next four movies, and then he's also in the next mm. two as a different character. Okay. <laughs> Chris Cannon. <laughs> That's like, a, what was uh, Michael Caine's name? Uh, Rock, Rock, Rock Hunter. Rock Hunter, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, for, for whatever reason, they decide to trust them and give them guns. Yeah, I thought this was going to blow up in their face, but it actually doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, they very quickly encounter uh, Fu and Eric, who are like, we don't even need guns for these losers. Let's all have a Kung Fu fight. And they throw down their guns and they beat the shit out of them. They very easily uh, defeat Harrison and Andreas, which is funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Continuingly, in all of these movies, the men are mostly useless if they're on the good side. <laughs> yeah yeah but like weirdly competent thugs until the very end yeah until someone has a huge gun <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> or explosive but donna and taryn obviously get there and they draw guns and they hold them up uh there's one more nameless thug there and donna shoots him just blows this dude away and uh eric and Fu escape so we can fight them again later Mm -hmm. uh, Martinez meanwhile he's just been putting the gold in a bag he's the only one who just like <laughs> stuck around <laughs> uh, the uh, Eric and Fu show up he blows away he blows away Eric uh, and then the ninja gets in between uh, Terran and Harrison because they're about to kiss and like a sword oh. shows up between them it's like that's weird. <laughs> Is he like taking the role of her grandfather here? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. That is weird because he's. I sort of definitely... thought. Uh, I sort of thought that it was um, him realizing that Bruce was a bad guy. I thought it <laughs> might be that too, actually. It, it, it sort of doesn't make sense I... this way. Yeah, because I I forgot that at this point I still we still don't know that Bruce is a good guy. No, we, we won't know until uh, after everything's over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the way, turns out I was with CIA. Yeah. Uh, so Martinez he gets in a boat and Terran fucking explodes him. <laughs> <laughs> with the explodey crossbow of course uh, yeah after and, he, and he's got a gas can that's in the yeah. in the boat he just dumped it over by <laughs> yeah. by mistake because that's what you do when you're trying to get away in these yeah and she's got some gold and 
uh, he's got a bunch of bars of gold there and yeah, she blows him up a huge explosion. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Fu gets the drop on her and he's holding her hostage. But the ninja uh, shows up. He gets shot a couple times, but then he just keeps on going and he puts a sword through him. <laughs> and then we get the big reveal. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's big. It's long. <laughs> it's, it's absurd. We get flashbacks in it. He, he We see him uh, not in the old age makeup where we see like, yeah, he obviously is just that guy. Uh, he's dying. He tells them how he killed her grandfather, and that they, the other guys, they slayed him on the beach. And I don't know, really, the other two guys ultimately committed suicide. Uh, yeah, one of them they committed. Couldn't... They just couldn't deal with the guilt. Which is weird because they're hardcore Japanese soldiers who don't know the war is over, and he's an American soldier. They. Yeah, it's sort of weird. I guess it's I thought just, they would have been pretty okay with it. Maybe he's sort of painting it on his own view of it after all these years, being uh, this really honorable dude. And it's just, they couldn't live on this deserted island for decades, and they just took the easy way out and died. Uh, one of them committed harakiri, one of them just walked into the sea. Yeah. So he's just been alone with his his guilt since then. Uh, but now he's like, now I feel atoned, and he dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's the end of him. <laughs> Taryn cries for him. Uh, and then, you know, Don and Taryn, they decide to take Harrison's plane. It's like, fuck you, we're taking your plane, see ya. Uh, <laughs> no, you can't have it, we're going. Which, again, if we had the serum, that would be a really good reason for them. Just like, we need to take the plane because we still have this last important thing to do. Yeah, right. I, <laughs> I forgot. It could like, have the fit. The serum is so done that I forgot that it was a thing. <laughs> Although I guess then we can't have it just randomly having been four days before these guys showed up. But that doesn't even, uh, we don't even know that except through the dialogue. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But there's like a Navy boat coming by, so the guys are going to get picked up by that, supposedly. But then we finally get the reveal of Harrison. Yeah, After was, they leave. Was... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he was with the CIA, and he yeah. just decided to take control of this whole operation because otherwise it'd be like one of those jurisdiction pissing contest nightmare things or something. Yeah, some kind of bullshit. They realized that whatever Andreas was doing was kind of crooked and that there were all sorts of crooked factions involved. And it's like, we needed the CIA in on this. They, you can't do crooked shit without having them there. But he's Bruce Christian. And uh, we've got a sub coming to pick us up. And he's like, I don't want to ride in a sub. And he's like, well, you want to swim back? <laughs> so everyone meets up at Rockies. It would have been better if it was on the Malibu Express, but Rockies is fine. Yep, yep. But, uh, <laughs> they've all paired off even though some of the pairings don't make sense. Yeah, I think both Rocky and uh, Patty are with Andreas for some reason. I think so. He just gets yeah, both of them. Yeah, why does Andreas get to be? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't even a good guy. <laughs> I don't get no, it. He did he just practically nothing. Yeah, his only thing is he just survived and he didn't actively stab anyone in the back. Yeah. 
Uh, so the, the, here we we learn that Taryn did steal six of the gold bars. <laughs> She's like, I'm entitled to them. She has no explanation for why. She just feels that she is. It's like, eh, it's Taryn. Yeah, sure. Whatever. <laughs> Being a civilian. Yeah, and here I was like, wait, she's still a fucking civilian? She <laughs> murdered like 18 people in this movie. <laughs> she blew some dudes away. She exploded a couple people. And yeah, she gets some gold for that. That's cool. <laughs> and the CIA guy's just like, I'm cool with this. She's like, hands are tied, jurisdiction stuff. <laughs> she's a civilian. What can I do? <laughs> And uh, that is the end of it. And we have just an absolutely spectacular closing theme. Uh, Back to Survival by Gary Stockdale. Rules. It's so good. It's really good. Back to Survival. Ah. So, Except in my brain, I keep getting it mixed up with Back to the Shadow. Yes, it is similar. Very, very similar <laughs> uh, main line. But just... Yeah, that that synth in that is so so good. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So overall thoughts on Savage Beach? I I agree. It's not as good. It's clearly a step down. Uh, but still fun. I'm still having a good yeah. time. It's just oh yeah. It's a little bit looser. I'm definitely not as grabbed by it all the time. You, I'm the the energy loses me in places. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like. Our bad guys aren't interesting enough for the amount of time we spend with them. Yeah, and we should have, like, Shane should have been along for the ride. Uh, Yeah, or he should have had, like, his own side thing to do. Or, yeah, like, have him show up, have uh, Rocky and Patty show up, just have a team. Uh, it, it It definitely feels emptier than the other ones where the the other ones are so packed with stuff uh they they have the energy of an extreme sports reel yeah yeah whereas this is like they've got it just feels more conventional i guess (laughs) yeah i i feel like they just kind of had the one idea which is get everybody onto this island and right and and obviously there's the uh the ex-japanese soldier thing which is a pretty big concept for an Andy Sedaris movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seeing Sedaris trying to do like a serious flashback and treat the subject matter with respect is like it is weird. Yeah. Uh, I, it's... I, I I don't buy it. I, I would have preferred something goofier. Uh but yeah, mm-hmm. it was interesting. Uh I think the next one is also kind of a little bit more on the serious side. It's called Guns. Okay. Really? That's going to be serious? Uh, I mean, serious I mean, you know, it's it's a darker one, I think. Uh, it's about gun trafficking, obviously, oh, okay. guns. Uh, let me pull up a bit of detail on that real quick. So, guns. Uh, it, it, it's the lethal ladies. You've got a bunch of female agents. And they're cool. taking out Eric Estrada as an evil oh. South American gun runner. Uh, his his sidekick is Danny Trejo, like really young Danny Trejo. Oh shit! Yeah. I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that yeah, I, I have seen it before, but it's been quite some time. Uh, I recall it being similar to this one. Okay. Yeah, but Edie's back. Hmm. Uh, so all right, you, you got some of them back. It's it's got a much bigger bigger cast again. Uh, and 
it, it is set in Hawaii and I think you've got the whole team doing stuff. So uh, probably less slow in places than this one was. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, because once this one finally did get going, when they did finally get everybody to the island, it was pretty great. Yeah, you you doing the stuff. It's just uh, definitely getting there. It isn't quite as thrilling uh, as the previous ones where, you know, you, you have stuff like, even though I don't enjoy the characters very much in Malibu Express, or is it Malibu Express, where you had those goofy people who kept challenging uh, the Abilene yeah. races. Yeah, like that, that. that was Malibu Express. That yeah. was... <laughs> Give me something yeah, like it's... that. We just don't have the the extra little things in there. Yeah, yeah. Like, there was, there was one scene in this one where uh, Rocky gets this bread machine delivered, and I'm like, oh, yeah. man, I can't wait to find out whether or not this bread machine's going to factor into the plot again. Because, <laughs> you know, in these movies, 50-50. It could. It did not. It did not. So, speaking of a little bit extra, we're going to do episode two of Ultra Q, which is Goro and Goro. Because, you know, <laughs> this was a fairly light film. We're just like, ah, let's do an, an Ultra Q. So this one's uh, the second episode, aired January 9th, 1966, directed by Hajime Tsuburaya. Cool. One thing I noticed right from the start, they added some new opening narration, like very Twilight zone -y. Oh, yes. Uh, imagine, if you will, where apes could be really big because of hormonal imbalances or, uh, or something like that. Yeah. And for the next 30 minutes, you'll experience a parting of mind from body and become swallowed in this mysterious time. Like a very Twilight zone kind of intro thing. Yeah. I never thought about introducing a kaiju world like that, but it works. I dig it. Yeah, so, I like it. So they start on Awashima Kaijo, uh, yeah, Awashima Kaijo Ropeway. It's a cable car between a couple mountains. Uh, it's heading to Amagi over Shizuma Bay. Yeah, and all, like immediately, giant gorilla. <laughs> yeah, they're they're, <laughs> uh, they're the tour guide is talking about how it used to be full of wild monkeys, uh, but they were driven out during the war. Uh, because they they fortified the area as uh, a base, so now they're mm -hmm. here and we're going over the place and everybody's laughing at the monkeys and then oh my god a huge <laughs> monkey <laughs> yeah it just comes up from the hill and is grabbing onto their cable cars and or the the rope rather oh yeah he's swinging on them the way like they get jostled around a fair amount but they get jostled a lot more than that <laughs> it would be much more perilous yeah. <laughs> So this is our Goro, our big Goro. We have a big Goro and a little Goro. <laughs> and the, it is described like thyroid hormones causing excess growth. I'm like, that's right. This is a terrifying world where everything is, uh, where everything is unbalanced. <laughs> I love they kind of like drop the hint like, yeah, you know, this can happen to humans too, you know. Yeah, thyroid stuff. Yeah, he can have a 50-foot-tall human run it. Well, he's bigger than 50 feet. He's pretty big. He's probably 50 feet-ish, somewhere around there. Mm. So uh, I, I love the theme. Again, great opening yeah. theme music. Very <laughs> kind of great 60s spy kind of theme. 
I love how it seems to be just the opening music is playing over the monster of the week just rampaging. Although it's fun, they're really blurry shots of him. Kind of just, we get like action movements of his face. Because mm-hmm, they're they're all stills, like a, but they're blurry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like like Bigfoot sh- or yeah, no, yeah, he's in motion, but yeah, it's just a photograph just catching a hand or whatever. Yeah. So we cut to human Goro, small Goro. Uh, he's a simple man, <laughs> uh, and he's tending a campfire. Yep. And there's and... these two scientists. <laughs> Uh, one of them is a city boy and one's a country boy. Yeah, they're talking about their views on country life or mountain life. Uh, one of them is like, oh man, I love it. It's the best. And he's like, I miss the sea of neon lights. He's like, you just miss the mermaids who live in that sea. <laughs> he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but is that a crime, really? Yeah, come on. <laughs> so... They go to their laboratory and they see that the chemical store has been busted into. And one of the dudes, I, I think it's the city guy, he immediately just thinks it's Goro. Must be Goro. Like, well, nobody no else has else. been here. It's obviously Goro. He does not look around to see the monkey footprints going towards the thing <laughs> that's been torn open, like chewed open. It's like, it must have been Goro. <laughs> hey, Goro, you jerk. What's that? <laughs> Uh, but the other guy, he he looks a little bit closer and like, no, come on. It, it was obviously monkeys. Don't blame Goro, please. <laughs> Don't be a jerk. But we have to establish that people are jerks to Goro, though. Yes, we do need to establish that he's very persecuted. One thing I really... He, so Goro runs away because he's been yelled yeah. at. And as he's running away, we see the really rad sign of, like, a monkey pointing the way to the um, Wild Monkey Research Lab. Cool sign. Oh, yeah. Nice sign. It's it's shaped like a monkey and it's pointing at the place. Fun just for it being a research laboratory. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's what you'd expect for a theme park. So yeah, I, I like it. I like it. So they they look through what's missing and it's like, oh no, the Ioba walnut portions ha- or potions have been mostly taken. Like uh, almost all of them are gone. And this, I guess, is what creates giant monkeys yeah we have a bit about it later and it's related to soldiers on the islands in the war which is interesting for a kind of uh a theming here between our two pieces Mm-hmm. so mailman shows up at the research center to tell them like hey you hear about that giant monkey <laughs> they're like giant <laughs> monkey oh no <laughs> this is our fault <laughs> <laughs> yeah giant uh-oh oh we're gonna get in trouble yeah so goro's running through the forest and he's whistling and big goro shows up and they play <laughs> <laughs> he squeals he's stomping trees but it's fun he's like having a good yeah. time they're buds yeah and we get our regular characters uh, who I, I guess are going to be our guys in all of these. We've got Jun, who's getting a postcard. Oh, right, the the reporter guys. Yeah, I think Jun I think. is... I'm not actually sure what his job is, because they work at an airline. I think he's a pilot. Okay. Um, 
but it's kind of a little unclear what any of these people are because the CEO goes out. Yeah, and I know uh, Yuri is a reporter because, like, that's what right. she was doing. She was off reporting, yeah. like, she was off on uh, Elian Island, and she sent them this postcard about what she's doing there. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Oh, there's a chimp that looks exactly like Ipe, the other guy." <laughs> he's very offended. Yeah. Uh, so she's talking about this, and she's looking for the missing ex-Japanese soldiers who are just still gone native, lost on these islands. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, hey, neat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she does not mention giant monkeys at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, it's like, well, that's not really part of what I was there for. So yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> it's not part of the mission. Right. So the boss shows up and yeah, I guess they do. I th- I think it's like, I think it's like, again, uh, our previous film. <laughs> I think it's like Savage Beach where they work for the newspaper, but they are also pilots and run an airline and <laughs> they, they all have multiple <laughs> jobs. Because <laughs> the boss comes in and he, uh, the CEO guy of the news shows up and he's like, I need you guys to go check out this story about a giant monkey. Right, and then, and then, yeah, he goes himself. Well, yeah, he shows up later, because <laughs> it, it's such a hit story, because they, they continue to report on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we get this dude who's just driving his car around on Mount Amagi. He's got, uh, he I think he's the milkman. He's oh, got yeah, all the, the milk dude. He's yes. got a bunch of jugs. Uh, and he encounters Big Goro, obviously. And Goro is like, he's throwing stuff at him. He's like throwing mud at the windshield. Because he wants to play, but the guy is terrified. Yeah. Giant monkey. <laughs> yeah, the guy just... <laughs> yeah, no, the guy just runs. It runs in terror, leaving his vehicle. I would have maybe driven away, but, you know, whatever. Goro upends the car because he's playing with it. And uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he starts drinking the milk, which... Because we, we haven't really talked about how Goro looks. Uh, the, the, the ape <laughs> costume. It's... Uh... It's not the best ape costume I've ever seen, but it's also not quite the worst. I've seen worse, but the mouth is probably the biggest problem. It, it is, it doesn't really move, and he <laughs> when he when he pours food or drink into it, which happens actually a bunch of times, it just all falls down his face. <laughs> None of it goes yeah. in. <laughs> so it's really tough to feed this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, like, I've seen monkeys eat. They can eat. They don't just pour things on their face. <laughs> no. They, yeah, yeah, they know how to do it. <laughs> but yeah, he's he pours the milk jugs on his face and stuff, and he's he's supposed to be drinking them. So <laughs> Jun and Ipe, they fly over. They take some pictures from a helicopter. And it's like, holy shit, that's... That's a fucking giant monkey. Look at this. That's incredible. <laughs> Let's go land nearby. And Helicopter's like, no. <laughs> He's like, come on. <laughs> okay. But Goro and Goro have met up and they're playing. This is the first time we see him put his fist down and pick him up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the giant gorilla fist. This looks pretty. It- it looks pretty bad. It looks bad. It's it's not great. It looks really stretched and silly, and it is very stiff. And he's picked up by it. And then even funnier is when we see the figurine 
of Goro in the fist when he's picked up. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I love the figurine. Uh, so the photographers show up and they're they're frightened. Uh, they they snap a couple pictures, but then they flee in terror because they think uh, he's going to crush Goro and that, you know, he's a big, scary monster. Mm-hmm. But then they run into the scientists who are also looking for Goro because they've already clued into what's happened. Yeah. They're like, no, 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 don't worry. He'll be fine. Uh, you said it's a guy in a big straw hat uh, who, who he had and like, no, no. Uh, that monkey and him are buds. They're besties. Don't worry about it. <laughs> He's the monkey boy. He can talk to monkeys. Yeah, he, he can't talk to us. He grew up with the monkeys. Uh, they're who his people are. He's like uh, their foster parent. Don't worry about it. I'm like, you're really <laughs> believing but, but a lot. Like it is. It's it's a bit of a. So we're just going to assume that the giant monkey works the same way. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. So Goro uh, collects some fruit for Big Goro. Uh, we we see him just like collecting a bunch of lemons and stuff, and he we we see uh, Goro <laughs> pour the bag in his mouth, and it all just falls everywhere. It just dumps it onto totally his ridiculous. face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then we see the news story just become a really big hit. Uh, and they frame it not as giant monkey found. They frame it as this guy has a relationship with this monkey and it's cute. <laughs> it's like, sure. Okay. Whatever. Like, uh, you know, like Clifford, the big red dog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just don't worry about the size of the monkey. So Yuri is obviously called in because she's gotten back from her island and they're going to put her on the case. And she's like, I didn't recognize this was the same person at first because oh, yeah. she grew out like her hair. She doesn't have the hat. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, but she's like, oh, crazy. There's a giant uh, monkey on the island that I was at, too. I was like, really? <laughs> Everyone's like, what? Why didn't you say anything in your notes or postcards <laughs> or reports? Or I love that. That was such a funny reveal. It's like, oh, shit, there is a giant monkey on that uh, island I was on. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, here's some pictures of it. I'm like, oh, well, I'll I be just damned. didn't submit those. <laughs> yeah. So we see Monkey Boy Goro. Uh, he he's being beat up in the public square because he's been stealing so much food. <laughs> <laughs> just a bunch of people beating the shit out of him, and uh, obviously Jun, Yuri, and Ipe all bust in. Like, hey, stop beating that guy up! How dare you! Yeah, they, they like start asking him. It's like, yeah, this guy can't talk, and it's like, dude, you know he can't talk, and you're beating the shit out of him. Yeah, stop being such assholes. What the hell, guys? Uh, so they, they, the police show up and they arrest Goro. <laughs> the guy being beaten in the street is arrested. I mean, he has been stealing stuff. Uh, to be fair, yeah, but you know, the people beating him up are just. I guess just doing their diplomatic duty. Or... Well, I mean, this is a big news story that they should be aware of. Yeah. It's a huge hit news story. And like our guys are like, I mean, he's obviously stealing that food for the monkey. He wouldn't need it. And <laughs> no. if he's stealing food for the monkey and the monkey's not getting food, I mean, there could be a problem coming up ahead. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I I do like Jun very anti-authoritarian, very a cab about it. When the police arrive and arrest him, he's like, I understand why he likes monkeys more. <laughs> it's like uh, yeah, eat shit. Yep. So they meet up with the scientists, and the scientists are in a jeep, and they're on their side. They're like, "Yep, we gotta bust Goro out, fix things." Now back at the office, the guy, the photographer who is with Yuri, he's showing the boss all the pictures that he got on Alien Island. He's <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, there's these beautiful islanders and all these just gorgeous vistas and sunsets. Oh, it's amazing." And Isn't then, that a giant monkey? He's like, "Aren't these pics of a giant monkey?" He's like. Oh, yeah, there's a giant monkey there, too. Look, there's a bunch of pictures of him, too. Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) How come nobody has thought to tell us about this? He's like, yeah, the islanders worship it as a god. It gets fruit for them. It saves ships. It's, yeah, it does all sorts of stuff. Like, how did you not lead with this guy? (laughs) Uh, Well, we're in a world where everything is unbalanced, you see. We are, we are. (laughs) So the scientists, they explain the whole aoba walnuts thing, that there's this growth hormone in them, it affects the thyroid, Uh, it was used by Japanese soldiers back in the day, they'd chew on it to increase their stamina, but if you use too much of it, you'd get gigantism or something. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I guess. And they kind of put it together and like, oh, yeah, I mean, there were she was on the island looking for the ex-Japanese soldiers. So that's probably what happened. Uh, They must have dumped a bunch of them on the island. They just got left behind. And that's how the how this happened in two places. Right, right. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. I mean, they went to the trouble of explaining how it (laughs) co-happened. That's not some kind of random evolution. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's it's not like they give a reason for the coincidence, which is more than Savage Beach did. <laughs> that's true. That's true. More than Gomez did, too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Although Gomez, it, it was um, it, it was like an ancient prophecy type thing, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So sort of different, but not a lot yeah. different. So word arrives that Goro is on a rampage in town. And we cut to some amazing miniatures. Oh, I love the miniatures in this. <laughs> this, yeah, this is what I'm here for. Yeah, he's it's just one little city block. He doesn't get to destroy it that much, but it's it's fun. It's good. It's it's exactly what I want. Uh, police show up and they shoot him in the butt. <laughs> he's really annoyed. <laughs> he has a temper tantrum. Yeah, he. Oh, I love his first thing. Like he jumps around a bit and he's angry, and then he just punches in a roof yeah <laughs> and it's a very good just like ooh, and he punches right through the roof and then he beats his chest and he kicks a building in but his foot gets stuck so he falls over into another building <laughs> he, he's like trying to rip through these telephone wires like they're spider webs but they keep uh electrocuting him he gets all zapped uh, and he gets mad again he like starts pounding on another building it's great <laughs> Police flee. Yeah. <laughs> Police are like, shit, we're getting out of here. And of course, Goro uh picks up the the car and like fucking slams it into the ground and explodes and burns. So we got this burning car model. Awesome. Uh all into it. All of this uh-huh. stuff is great. And then 
we see Goro getting released from prison. They're like, hey, Goro, we need you here. <laughs> <laughs> and the scientists and the heroes arrive in a Jeep and they're like, stop shooting. You're just making it worse to the police. And they're like, shut up. We're going to shoot this guy again. Everybody get ready. <laughs> Weird. Last time we shot him, he just got mad and destroyed a bunch of buildings. This time we shot him, he just got mad and destroyed a bunch of buildings. Let's shoot him again and see what he does. Let's see what happens. I, I think we should give it another shot. And Yuri shows up and she's like, I think we should just transplant Goro to Alien Island. They could probably support two giant monkeys on this remote island. That'd be that. It's not going to overbalance the system or anything. Probably fine. <laughs> Especially, you know, if they don't start, if they, you know, if they reproduce. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they can. Maybe they're both male monkeys. I know Goro is supposed to be. Yeah. I think that's supposed to be the idea, but I don't know. But their CAO, the, the boss of the newspaper, happens to show up and says, yeah, let's do that. I'm going to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, all right, great. We have a solution. Kind of. Yeah, the boss shows up and he's a, a, a high class businessman. So he walks up to the police and is like, "Hey, stop it! You don't need to. Sh you don't need weapons. You just need a heart." <laughs> uh, and funny that they say you just need a heart when what they're doing to Goro here is pretty heartless. <laughs> it's pretty mean. They don't think. I, I mean, I, I feel like they sort of had to do it this way to some extent, but they they could have gone in. I mean, it. it yeah, they could have. It, it yeah. seems so cruel. But uh, they bring little Goro in. He's got a big jug of milk and he's going to bring it to him. He walks up and to big Goro, who's still having a fucking crazy tantrum. I would not want to walk up. It's still a yeah. monkey. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're dangerous. They will rip your yeah, face yeah. off. Even if you monkeys know them. Are, monkeys are not really your friends. <laughs> they're wild animals. But he takes the milk, he drinks it, and he passes out. He's sleeping because uh, they they drugged the milk, obviously. But Goro didn't know that, and he thinks he killed him. <laughs> so, yeah, so it ends on him <laughs> screaming. He He's, like, screaming and crying at the sky. But we, we cut to our people saying, like, oh, no, no, he's, he's, it, it's just uh, drugged and will, he'll, he's going to wake up on Alien Island. It's like, man, that'll be quite a shock to him, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you tell Goro about this? No, of course not. Why would we? <laughs> like, no, of course All not. The screaming, and we cut to him screaming and crying, and then uh, as like the camera pans up to the sky, we just see Goro scratching himself peacefully in his sleep. Giant Goro, of course, <laughs> and that's the looking end. kind of adorable. It's a much. It is a sweeter ending than the first one, obviously, because they saved the monster and stuff but it's so funny that it, it feels like maybe they originally made it where he did kill him and then they sort of like maybe we shouldn't do that maybe that's gonna maybe that's too far we, we killed yeah. both of them last time isn't this yeah. a children's show <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. yeah but that's it yeah that was fun that is uh, i think i like the first episode better but yes I, I do think the first one is a little bit better, but yeah, it's still fun. I, I oh yeah, I really enjoy it. I'm I'm looking forward to digging into more of these. Yeah, I can't wait to see what other types of giant monsters they're going to have. Totally. Uh, so that's all we've got for our first part. Uh, any last thoughts before we head into part two? Part two will be 
Oh shit. <laughs> I, I don't have a Shaneism for this one. <laughs> yeah, you really need to think through the euphemism first. I mean, not a lot, but enough that you have something relating to a penis in there. Uh all right, yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> well. Oh, oh, well, there okay. we go. Like the the rifle Oh fuck. The the carbine 200 shot action rifle. Uh I have it written down. I just don't have it in front of me. This isn't going to work. All right. Uh on to part 2. And we're back for part two, where we've got two additional films that we're talking about, starting with Hudson River Massacre. Uh, <laughs> one of the weirder titles. It's the one that uh, this this is the MVD Classics release. That's the title they released it under. Uh, original title is Itre del Colorado, the three from Colorado, or the Colorado what? three, which... okay. I don't know. That's that one also not... doesn't make any sense. It has nothing to do with Colorado, just as it has nothing to do with the Hudson River. <laughs> Set yeah. in Canada. There is a massacre, though. There is a massacre. It's more there... correct than the three from Colorado. There isn't even anyone who I would call the three anything. No. <laughs> Except uh, for the three guys who get killed at the start. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's also in Austria's... Wolf der Schwarzenberger, which would be, uh, I'm not, not sure what Berger is. Let me just figure that out because uh, I know the rest of it, it's a black wolf. Uh, okay. So that doesn't make sense. Uh, wolves of the Black Mountains. Sure. Uh, mm, <laughs> in, in, in Belgium, it was Berdin Politi, which is mounted police. Fine. fine. Okay. Yep. Uh, also released as Les Rebels du Canada, or The Rebels of Canada, Canadian Rebels. That's the title that has been under a few times. the closest one so far, I think. Sounds reasonable. And the Brazilian title, uh, Pistoleros do Colorado. Colorado <laughs> Guns. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it had a bunch of titles in France. One of them was the Hudson River Massacre, Massacre Hudson River. Uh, there's also Mounted Police, Police Monte. Uh, there's Les Tuniques Rouges, the Redcoats. Hmm. Okay. All uh, right. Canadian Wilderness is the British title. Uh, While some of this does take place in the Canadian <laughs> Wilderness, I would argue that that's not what the movie's about yeah, at not, all. Not really. Uh, it, it was released in the U.S. under Hudson River Massacre, Rebels in Canada, Revolt in Canada, and Three from Colorado. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just so many titles. It's crazy. I mean, that, that's how these things were. Um, I, I really like the West German video title, Nadenlose Killer, which means merciless killers. <laughs> still not what this is about though <laughs> no no i you know it was the vhs era they needed to really go over there's also in west germany was uh the which is uh the irreconcilable ones <laughs> yeah that, i don't know that fits that one kind of fits i guess yeah there, there are certain irreconcilable differences between the canadians and the british in this film uh mm -hmm. and <laughs> so. the the hudson bay company as well which uh yes that hudson bay company yeah so the hudson bay company is obviously where they get the hudson river from but 
I don't know why they didn't say Hudson Bay Massacre, although it's also not the Hudson Bay. We were no. talking about this when you were watching it, that we, we kind of narrowed it down. We're not sure. It seems like it must take place in Saskatchewan during the time that Louis Riel is exiled in the U.S., but the Leo Lemieux character is kind of supposed to be a Louis Riel. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like Even though doing... they do refer to Louis Riel, although they they call him Louise. Louise Riel. <laughs> <laughs> we have to go down to America and convince Louise Riel to come back. Right. So that that's how we figure it has to be during the exile, which means Saskatchewan is the most likely location for this. Although, I don't know. I... It's sort of Saskatchewan-y. It's a little northern Saskatchewan-y, I guess. Okay. Yeah, I don't know my Saskatchewan geography well enough. I always just kind of uh, just drove through without paying attention whenever I was in there. I've got a lot of family in Saskatchewan. (laughs) (laughs) So I know it well. Uh, This kind of has some Saskatchewan look to it, I guess. Uh, And... I mean, it's it's Italy, so yeah. <laughs> what can you say? It's I I do figure a lot of Americans feel this way when you see uh, spaghetti western set in specific places. You're like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so yeah, th- this is an Italian film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like an Italian, maybe Spanish co-production. Uh, this is directed by uh uh. Amando Diasorio, who uh, also directed the uh, Tomb of the Blind Dead, he he did oh. like the those great zombie movies. So the Tomb oh, of the Blind cool. Dead, Night of the Sorcerers, Night of the Seagulls. We've those have come up on the show here, haven't they? At least uh, one of them has the yeah, Blind I, Dead, I believe. I, I watched Tombs of the Blind Dead. I think last Halloween, not this year, but last year, right? And Night of the Seagulls, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, it, so he's he's like a well known as a horror director shortly after this, but this <laughs> yeah, there, there's just that one moment with the Mountie with the knife in his head. That's the only thing that really has that kind of gravitas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is uh, you know it it feels it, it feels like a Canadian film in that it's very dry. It's dry. It's thin. There's not a lot to it. Like there's. There's arguably a lot of plot, but there's not a lot of drama or action. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, the pacing is a little weird, too, because our opening scene is about five seconds where Victor learns that his brother is being tried for, uh, I'm not even sure, for attacking a, uh, for attacking a Hudson Bay uh, trading raft or boat or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we cut immediately to our villain, James Sullivan of the Hudson Bay Company, who is as mustache twirling as they come. Yeah, he's just like any evil head of the town in any of the westerns we've watched. Like the guy who ran the bank and the casino and everything in the Sertana movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This He's that guy. And he's like, oh, well, you don't want to ser- sell your furs to us well, why did you attack my men? Well, we never actually attacked your men. That's not a thing. You made that up and you're framing us. Yeah, I mean, it is this whole thing where they are the Canadians, and I think we're supposed to be talking about the Métis here. Yeah. They're supposed to be the Métis. 
we the the word Métis never spoken in this movie no. that is heavily about the <laughs> the Métis. Uh, and it's not the Canadians either; it's the Canadians. Yes, they're just the Canadians. Which, uh, yeah, <laughs> always how they say it. So, yeah, they're, they're you feel the historical inaccuracy more <laughs> being from Canada. Uh, I, 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 I like. I'm always aware of it in a lot of the American ones, like the the uh, the Sertana ones or uh, <laughs> the the Man with No Name trilogy. We we watch those like we know they're not heavily close to american geography or actual history but there's there's so far off and it's so heavily based in a specific historical conflict yeah like i i would love to see a movie that takes on this setting and this conflict but like gets it right (laughs) oh totally i i think the uh just people fighting the mounties is really compelling and interesting and that is the best part of the movie when we have those big battle scenes at the end mm-hmm. it's actually watching it a second time i realized those aren't the end that happens like about halfway through that's true yeah because then, then we just got a lot of bullshit because it's the massacre and then there's the downtime and obviously there's the kidnapping and yeah uh, there's all the stuff with the kidnapping like so much of it is the kidnapping the whole movie is basically the kidnapping it's kind of yeah. like if the tall t if the kidnappers were the good guys of the tall t somehow yeah also I, oh, well not like that no the 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 thing that i really can't get over is the hairstyles <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah so uh, part one of the rebels is swa a, a full native american woman right <laughs> I, I couldn't. Well. I wasn't sure if she was supposed to be Métis or Native, but I got the impression that she she was supposed to be Native. But yeah, she looks like a go-go girl. <laughs> she does. She looks like she is uh, just cosplaying after her, or, or it, it, like she could just like go on, uh, do like a Native go-go dance act. Like she's gonna go strip after this. It's. So distracting, especially because also Anne Sullivan, the daughter of Jim of John, is Jim Jim Sullivan. Uh, James. James, James Sullivan. Sullivan. His daughter is kidnapped, and she's the locus of everything else that happens in the movie. And again, she just she has like the biggest sixties hair. It's crazy. <laughs> she looks ridiculous. Yeah, she's got like a beehive hairdo in the what's supposed to be the Canadian wilderness. It's nuts. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we're introduced to our two main villains here. Uh, Sullivan, who's the commissioner for the Hudson Bay Company and the one who's really in charge, who quote-unquote owns the land. And yeah. uh, Captain Doyle, who is a cop who is useless. He, he's the leader of the the Mounties for the purposes yeah. of this. Yeah, and his whole thing is like, hey, well... Or in this scene, he's like, you're not supposed to interrogate them brutally. And Sullivan's like, sir, I disagree. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the, that's the only way to get the answer out of them. You don't understand. <laughs> so so after, of course, the interrogation doesn't work because the guys still aren't even really sure why they're there. Yeah, nah. 
uh, he brings in his own guys, and it's like, well, these guys are going to testify that those guys attacked him. And Doyle's like, aren't these your paid employees? He's like, like, well, of course. Everybody who works, everybody who's worth anything around here works for me. Anybody who doesn't work for me is uh, obviously someone subverting me. Yeah, yeah. It's a company town. Don't you understand? <laughs> in fact, you work for me, Captain Doyle. Like we're the uh, Hudson yeah. Bay Company. We practically invented the company town. We're we're one of the originators. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So of course the guys are like, oh yeah, no, they did attack us. That guy shot me. And Doyle's like, hmm, testimony is bulletproof. <laughs> but these guys aren't. No, no. <laughs> uh, so planning a massacre already. We, we're already like he uh, Sullivan wants them to all just be taken out. Yeah. He, he's he's trying to. Uh, engineer a situation in which they can all be taken out mm -hmm. so uh, yeah they these three guys get killed by the firing squad mm -hmm. uh, which victor arrives too late to do anything not that he could have anyways right so his brother has been executed so and it's a revenge trip because it is a revenge need revenge trip. in a spaghetti western and this is a full-on spaghetti western. They're just oh, wearing yeah. different outfits. Yeah, it's a spaghetti western where the villains are the mounted police, which is fun, and I like that idea. I just, I would have liked more of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the capturing the girl plot isn't interesting. We've seen no. movies that have done that way better than this. Yeah, this definitely, I, I just feel like... Uh, Armando Armando Diasorio just does not have a flair for the western. He's uh, like his his horror movies are not fast moving either. They're slow. They're doomy. They're very uh, atmospheric, and that's also not the vibe you want for a western. And you sort of have that here, but it just makes it feel kind of flat. Flat is kind. Of, yeah, that's kind of the word I would use for this. Yeah, because we this is another one where we spend a whole bunch of time just moving everybody into place. It strictly and, comes alive in the violence. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, so, he, so Victor is like, okay, well, now I'm going to do a whole big revenge thing. I'm going to join the rebels right now. And his girlfriend is like, no, don't join the rebels. You'll get killed. And also, I'm scared you're going to cheat on me. <laughs> ongoing she, thing she's so worried he's gonna cheat on her with uh everybody any female at all is a rival to this woman well i mean all of them have the big beehive hairdos i think she's the only <laughs> one that doesn't i think she just has a normal 60s hairdo <laughs> yeah yeah she's uh this is nina the uh spanish girl who is totally a matey and she's a singer at the bar yeah, I think the character, at least according to IMDb, it's Neela. Oh, is it? N-E-L-A. Um, okay. But yes, she is Spanish. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very <laughs> obviously Spanish. In the subtitles, she's Nina, but also the subtitles have mistakes in them. The so. subtitles are pretty rough. Yeah. They are bad. They're, they're <laughs> like, some, of the, some of the worst ones I've seen recently. Yeah, yeah, like I, I have trouble hearing, and I can hear that this isn't what they said. Yeah, you, you definitely see the like. Mm, no, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> so Victor goes into the forest to join Leo Lemu and his merry men. Who I guess yeah. they live in the woods. I, I don't. I can't get figure this out. <laughs> the geography of all of it is 
like they do not establish locations in any sort of way it's really hard to tell where anyone is in relation to anyone else uh again it's the sort of stuff that works when you're doing sort of weird surreal magical horror that's doomy it doesn't work when you need to know how a battle is happening yeah yeah uh not like a not for a historically significant uh thing <laughs> Yeah, like you know, we're, we're supposed to be in Métis rebellions in Saskatchewan uh, post the first Louis, uh, the Red River Uprising. So uh, a lot of tension in Canada at the time. <laughs> yeah, tons. And and that's why that's one thing I like about this, which caught, maybe makes me like it more than I otherwise would, is you just don't see that portrayed. Like oh, all right. of our Canadian made uh, TV movies and films and shows and stuff they all really kind of sanitize, like almost without exception, they kind of sanitize our history. They really do. I, I mean, I think in the 2000s, there have been a lot of stuff that's, or there there has been a lot of stuff that's much more critical, but you still don't really see something that's an action-y type thing that's more of a, like an entertainment that's not, I, I, the, the stuff that I've seen, it tends to be very dour and very self-serious yeah. and it's very yeah. gray and boring. I want yeah. to see an action movie where the Mounties are the bad guys because the Mounties are yeah. often the bad guys. Yeah, like we you had a do whole that. Wild West. Yeah. Like 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 our own Wild West with like our own villains and they were always the cops. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean those villains and the, the I think there are some of those but they're pretty rare and just also to get a snowy western more frequently. I love a snowy oh, yeah, western. That, oh, yeah, we don't get we Not don't frequently. get snow in this movie until the end. Right. And I do love, like, there are some great snowy westerns out there, like uh, McCabe and Miss Miller. Oh, it's one of the best ever. Shot in Vancouver. Oh. Or north of Vancouver. It's snowy. They built a town. Oh, rules. Anyway, uh, Nila or Nina or whatever. Nina, Nina who cares? (laughs) She sucks. She's, She's just. Uh, constantly jealous and she just shows up frequently in the movie to be jealous and to be suspicious of everything Victor's doing. And nothing else. And constantly <laughs> uh, and fuck him over. Yeah. She is constantly trying to sell him out so that he won't cheat on her or his revenge because he believes or because she believes he cheated on her. Yeah. I, I don't get her game or how she figures any of this is going to help her. Yeah. Well, it, or their Ultimately relationship. I mean, yeah, it doesn't. It, why wouldn't he cheat at this point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's but... got much better options available. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he basically just ignores her pleas to not join the rebellion and joins the rebellion. Of course. Uh, they, they have to do the whole pissing contest duel thing to prove that he's strong enough. Of course. But he is because, you know, he's he's the rugged handsome hero yeah i he's in most of the later sartana films too i think oh cool uh okay he oh he is sartana in some of the later films this guy's sartana this guy yeah uh sartana does not forgive Uh, in 1968 he plays sartana okay i'd have to i'd I'd have to see that I, i don't know from this movie i can't tell if he'd be good at that or not yeah, this movie doesn't really give the best impression of anyone, I feel, because it, it does feel like 
there is a certain energy lacking behind the camera for the material. Yeah, yeah. It's just a disconnect. It like it doesn't feel like any of the other spaghetti westerns I've watched. No. And not because of the setting, it's just it, it the energy is off. Mm-hmm. Much like we had with uh, uh Savage Beach. There's just sort of a, a something that isn't quite right there. Yeah, yeah, something something that's missing or something that's like slightly different. It, it, it's hard to put my finger on it. I expect a bit more kinetic energy, a bit more blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we do get well, we are going to get blood in here. Oh, there there's some. Be. I mean, the the massacre is totally solid and it, I love the fist fight in the river. Yeah, oh man, the river fist fight was brutal. So good. Oh good man. Shit. Yeah. So yeah, Victor handily wins against Leo Lebu and his seven dwarfs hat, which I fucking love. His little, totally uh, absurd. Uh, by the way, uh, Leo Lemu played by an uh, actor with a great name, Franco Fantasia. That is an awesome name. Uh, and he is Italian, of course. Like, <laughs> of I, course. I, I don't think any of these people are Canadian. <laughs> I just would strongly doubt it. I don't think so. I think mostly Spanish and Italian. Like it is a Spanish Italian co-production. This is a dude who I've seen in lots of stuff too. Right on. I feel like I've seen him before somewhere. But he's I can't in like him. he's in tons of horror movies by the eighties. I've seen him in Killer Crocodile Two. He's in Hands of Steel. He's in Eaten Alive and uh, the original Fulci Zombie. Oh, cool. Slave of the Cannibal God. Oh, hey, he's in something that's being added to the stacks this week. The oh, Heroin nice. Busters. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so after the fight, he's talking to... I love this bit when he's talking to Swa, who is his girlfriend. Right. And he's just like, uh, I can't wait. One day the fighting will be over and all of us can live in peace. And Swa, <laughs> who is the only one in this yeah. movie who has a fucking clue, is like... <laughs> yeah. This is not going to happen in our lifetime. He's like, that's not going to happen. We're never going to see peace. Uh, We are going to consistently be persecuted until we die. He's like, oh, I I think that that's uh, very cynical. (laughs) (laughs) Well, history shows. (laughs) (laughs) But she is fun. I I agree. She's the best character because she is the only one who seems to be self-aware. She's the only one who's like... This isn't going to get better. Come on. <laughs> now, I'm doing this. Yeah, she she's doing this because she hates them and she wants to kill them. Not because she thinks that they have a chance. I do appreciate how much she fucking hates Anne. Yes. And it isn't about <laughs> jealousy like it is with Nina. It is just about she fucking hates her and everything she stands for. <laughs> I hate your lifestyle. Yeah. I, I at least I can like there's something there. She's a character with a realistic motivation, some thoughts behind it. Like I, Victor, at least has his revenge plot, but it's so half baked. You don't feel any kind of vengeance that he's seeking. There, there's no fire well, in him. He doesn't get his revenge. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he he kind of like gives up on it after after being with the rebels for like a week or. Three days or six months. I'm not really sure how long he's in the cabin. I have no idea how long anything takes in this or <laughs> where anything is in relation to anything else. 
<laughs> so meanwhile, somewhere else, some find... woods. It's like fucking, <laughs> like you said. It's it's like uh, Robin Hood and his Merry Men. It's like you're in Sherwood Forest. This whole movie, <laughs> kinda, yeah. Like we do see like a trading post, which is three buildings, but that is kind of what they were back then. Yeah, it's basically true. And that's there's a dock. Uh, I keep forgetting that the dock is part of the trading post because they don't look like they're in the same uh, province. I don't know if they're ever shown in the same shot. I feel like they're completely different locations. Uh, yeah, and then there's that bit of woods where they hang out. <laughs> yeah, it's like there's a clearing that they found, and some of the trees sort of look like they might be Canadian trees, and it's in Italy, so it's like, this is what we've got. They're kind of <laughs> piney, you know, sort of looks like some pines. Yeah. Work. yeah, definitely. So we find out that Anne and Captain Doyle are courting, and that doesn't go anywhere because Anne will immediately fall in love with Victor the second she meets him. He's the hero. <laughs> he is the hero. She'll, she'll fight it at first because you have to, but she will fall in love with him. Necessarily. And Sullivan, of course, just is like, oh, yep, just your daily reminder that I own you all. That's the whole point of this scene. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to note, um, uh, Robert Captain Doyle is played by a Swiss actor. Oh. so He felt Canadian. If you had told yeah. me he was, I would have believed you. Yeah. I, I was thinking, like, you, you could have cast him as one of the main guys to have someone be a little bit more, I mean, more northern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he... he... I think he's the most Canadian one here, Captain Doyle. He's a little more believable, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but, you know, he's wooden and ineffective. So. Yeah, I mean, so is everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so the plan, uh, the rebels have a plan now. They are going to infiltrate Sullivan's house and take him hostage. And this is just going to free Canada from the British Empire. Yeah, I guess it is a question marks profit kind of plan. Uh, they just figure they'll leverage him to get their demands, which, which we never really find out what they are. Have no idea what their demands are. They have a very amorphous plot that they just want freedom. Uh, yeah. So I don't. Yeah, I don't think they know what they want. No. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, they but, are being persecuted. It's just, it seems like yeah. they should have a little bit more of a, a path. <laughs> yeah. Like like he even says, uh, Lemu just says like, hey, well, if they agree to our demands, we'll just let Sullivan go and that'll be that. And Victor's like, you think that'll really? be that? <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> like even he's there, like you, you, you don't even need Swa to say it this time. It's like, yeah. you, you think that will work? Like, oh, sure. He's too much of an idealist. Way too much of an idealist. And that could work if you actually played it, but they don't. Like, they don't play it as him as this naive idealist. It's just he doesn't seem to think things through and neither has the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no one has. So they, they do infiltrate the house, but uh, James has just left. He gone out to get groceries or whatever. So they got to take Anne instead. <laughs> Victor was just like, he was just going to leave. He was just going to be like, well, 
James isn't here. We were going to take James hostage, but we can't, so we might as well just go and try another day. And Swaz like, take the girl, you fucking idiot. Take the girl. If we come back now, uh, they're going to be ready for us because we've done it now and we've been seen. We can't do this again. Oh, well, I don't like it, but if you want to take the girl, I guess I'll just sulk along. Yes, I want to take the girl. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) And Anne is like, oh, I can't believe you are all a bunch of thieves and killers and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, most of us haven't killed anybody yet, lady. Yeah, most of us are not killers. I I think Swa is the only one who definitely is or something. I feel like Swa has killed. Swa has killed, for sure. And a few of these guys are going to kill before the end of it, but a few mm. of these guys are going to die. Yeah, most of them are going to be Most dead. of them are going to die. They they escape with a shootout, um, killing a bunch of uh, killing a bunch of Sullivan's guys. Yeah. And they and Victor drags Anne to this cabin, basically kicking and screaming the whole way. Yeah, and he's just not interested at this point. It it takes no. him a long time to like she falls in love with him before he starts to reciprocate. Yeah, he he doesn't even want to do the plan. He's just going through the motions at this point. Yeah. He's just like, "All right, like stop kicking and screaming. None of us want to be here. Let's just make the best of it. I'm not going to rape you or nothing. I have a an insanely jealous girlfriend at home who apparently knows about this plan. Yeah, she'll come after me. Uh, I you you really don't need to worry about it. And it's like, well, maybe I want to worry about it. She's already like turning around on it, basically. Yeah, she she um, as she's being dragged, she sees these two guys like panhandling for gold at the river. She throws her handkerchief at him. Right. And, and there's a like, whole thing with them. And they try to rape her, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, she definitely wants us to rape her. Yeah, and they, they, like, come back for her, and there's a whole thing, and, like, she thinks she's getting away with them, and then immediately they attack her, and obviously Victor has to come to her rescue. Yeah, and this is where we get the awesome river fight, which I think Pretty is kick-ass. my favorite part. It's it's awesome. It's obviously, that's why it's the cover art. It's uh the poster art, too, like the original poster art. Yeah, and, and it's brutal. Like, they're just fighting, but the river is fighting them. They're just being carried so far downstream. Yeah, bare-knuckle fist is, fight. Yeah, the one thug is, like, just walking alongside the river, but not getting it. He's like, yeah, get him, get him, <laughs> teach him a lesson. It's <laughs> just the cheering section. As Victor, like, fucking drowns him in the river, <laughs> and we see him, like, floating face down. That was pretty rad. I, so I, good. Th- there's like a couple moments in this movie where we are just lingering on a dead body that are exactly what Amando Diasorio does great. And it's like, that's where the energy is. And you just, it, it goes away when you're not in those yeah. moments. See, I wanted to like have one of those shots of like the body floating in the river and just frame it with a, uh, if you're Canadian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you aren't, you'll, this will leave you behind but like just like that part of our heritage frame yeah <laughs> uh, a heritage moment that's uh, it that's it a heritage moment <laughs> you, you can maybe get the log driver's waltz to start playing that would be good <laughs> uh, but like the other thing is just in, in terms of the atmosphere like like i said you get those weird atmospheric shots of a body but so much of the rest of it is straight up goofy 
Like <laughs> any interaction with Leo Lemu, he's so silly. He's just <laughs> not a he, he he's not a serious character. No, he doesn't look like a he doesn't look like he's leading a desperate rebel, rebellion against an insurmountable force. He no, looks he like just he's looks just goofy. He's he's a silly out. looking guy. <laughs> like like a like a Mel Brooks rebel leader. Yeah, and because as a revolutionary leader, he does not seem to have any charisma or power no. or plans. <laughs> I don't understand how he got to be this way. <laughs> yeah, like he doesn't he does not give speeches. No, he doesn't really do anything. I and like he had this one plan and then it didn't get planned properly they just showed up and the guy wasn't there yep <laughs> so, so she's been saved from rape and she's cool with him now yeah she yeah he he got shot very very slightly in the chest there's a little drop of blood but she's put uh, some paper towel on it so he'll be fine yeah it, it's like a powder burn basically like not yeah. not a proper shot to the chest mm-hmm so she's nursing him back to health, and he's like, whoa, why are you doing this? You can actually escape. I literally can't chase you. And it's like, uh... Maybe I don't like... want to escape so much anymore. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, he's like, that's mm, fine. My girlfriend's gonna kill me. <laughs> <laughs> we actually see the girlfriend like, I can't believe that, she's staying in, that he's staying in a cabin with that hussy. He better not be sleeping with her. Yeah, she's uh, already starting to plot against him and start messing with the whole thing. She, the, the thing, it starts coming apart because of her. It, she is the reason that this whole thing fails. Yeah. Well, also the massacre happening. Well, yeah. Uh, but, so I mean, that, it, that that happens in response to this, obviously. the them. Uh, yeah. it, it is a response to the kidnapping, essentially. Yeah, basically, like, word gets back to Sullivan immediately of course about the kidnapping of the daughter and sullivan's like all right that's it we are just going to kill all these motherfuckers get every cop from everywhere yeah we'll, we'll just call in all the mounties that we can get and we're just gonna annihilate them and that's basically what happens they round them up in a clearing next to a river and they're just they're on horseback and they're shooting they at them run and gunned down <laughs> You, you do have that one amazing, you know, someone throws a knife and gets a Mountie, like a knife in the head, and he goes off the horse. Camera's yeah. just lingering on the body with the <laughs> knife in the head. That rules. Mm -hmm. And it's just so funny to see, like, uh, the, at the beginning of the, yeah, at the beginning of the raid, like, they're trying to hide in the bushes with their bright red coats. Yeah, again, very absurd. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They, they, you just yeah they they should all be in a line with their guns that's what yeah. they do it's the way they did it they don't hide there's no point no. in hiding that's it is impossible for them to hide with those uniforms yeah which is why they had to drive them up into a flat field where they have all the advantage they don't do guerrilla warfare yeah so that's what they do they they massacre everyone a couple mounties go down yeah not nearly enough not enough, I, I, but it is a great part in the movie. It's the other oh, really yeah. excellent scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Leo gets shot, but not killed. Yeah. Uh, Swa lives. That's basically it. Yeah. A couple of other guys live. 
I mean, most of these characters don't have names, so it, it yeah. hardly matters. We've maybe gotten a name once or twice for them, but they're just the background characters, and they're all killed off. Mm-hmm. And we uh, cut to Nina being, or Nila, Nina, whatever, the girlfriend, uh, being tortured in a basement where she gives up the where she gives up the details of of the plan so mm-hmm. how it, how it's supposed to be is that if they've accepted the conditions there's going to be smoke on the mountain at dawn and that means that victor's supposed to let the daughter go if there's smoke at sunset it means that there's that they didn't accept the conditions or there's trouble or something else and victor's supposed to kill the daughter mm-hmm the girl tells Sullivan that it's like, no, uh, if you do smoke at sunset, then he'll release your daughter. But she, and, she, uh, I, I think she switched it around because he, she wants him to kill her. Yes, that's yeah. exactly what she did. Yeah. But the, the henchman figures it out like instantly. Yeah. <laughs> and the henchman's like, hey, you switched it around because you're a bitch. And it's like, ah, uh, you figured me out. It's like, I'll cop to it. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking in the cast. Marcel Sardou is a character who is supposed to be from Colorado. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it, in the cast list on IMDb, Marcel Sardou, a man from Colorado. Uh, and there's Charles Defois, who is a man from Colorado. So maybe there's a third man from Colorado somewhere in the list. Oh, so Charles Defois would be Victor's brother because he's oh. Victor Defois. Who is... Oh, right, yeah. So I guess Victor <laughs> is supposed to be from Colorado? I never got that in the movie. No, he says he's a Frenchman. <laughs> he doesn't sound French at all. No, I, I am not believing them as French-Canadian in <laughs> the least. It's completely absurd. Yeah, no, when he says he's a Frenchman, I'm like, you are? I mean, you're supposed to be? He's like, I don't know, man. You're not even trying an accent. <laughs> he's very Spanish. <laughs> But yeah, uh, they they suss out the plan, and I mean he's not going to kill her anyway. It's yeah, never going to happen. I mean that was never really on the table. That was just what the orders were, and he wasn't going to do it. No, he barely wanted to take her hostage in the first place. This is all just a huge hassle to him. This is why he doesn't join the rebels because it just it's too much of a hassle. He doesn't yeah. care about the vengeance that much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, they they do the thing with the smoke at sunrise to so that Victor will release the girl, but it's a trap. Of course. And another shootout happens and they all get away. Yeah. Now they have a new plan. Oh, but Lemu gets killed. Yeah, they they kill off Lemu. And th- there's a point where they're saying like again, we've had Lemu as this sort of quasi-real figure, but obviously they're later going to be the this is around where like oh i wish louise riel would come back from the the from the united states and help with this yeah victor is basically like taking the leadership thing and he's like i have a plan i'm gonna go to louise riel right and uh his girlfriend neela is like let me go with you and victor's like absolutely the fuck not i can't trust you and and she's like well well, Lemu took Swa along, and it's like, yeah, Swa's competent. Yeah, Swa knows what she's doing. You, you and are... she won't sell me out five different times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Swa is both capable and trustworthy, or neither of those things. <laughs> and then Anne's like, well, can I come with you? And Victor's like, absolutely the fuck yes. Mm-hmm. She, she, like, she's a shield. 
<laughs> yeah, well, yeah, actually, that that's what ends up happening too. Yeah. So now, what's what remains left is the chase, where he's got to get to the U.S. American border, and Sullivan's chasing him, and Swa and Neela have to have a cat fight. Necessarily, because of all the different times that Neela has uh, betrayed the rebellion. And they're just, they look so 60s. It is the <laughs> least convincing element of the whole movie that is supposed to be set in the 19th century. You're looking as like, this is a cat fight in a go-go, uh, uh, in like a go-go dance place. It is not the slightest bit convincing that it takes place 150 years earlier. No, not at all. And this is the climax of the movie. After this, the movie's yeah. pretty well done. That's pretty much it. They get to the border. <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> Sullivan, like, the Mountie's like, oh, we can't cross there. That's the American border. I will create an international incident if I do that. And Sullivan's like, well, I'll, I don't give a shit because I'm a businessman. So he goes to shoot Victor, but the daughter is standing in front of him, and Sullivan won't shoot his daughter. Obviously. And that's it. That's it. And it's over. And Did uh, he get Luis Real? Did they stop Sullivan? Did they save Canada? We don't find out. I don't know. Uh, It's it's hard to look into uh, the real story because it doesn't exist. Uh, This is just (laughs) completely random that it's heavily inserted into authentic history in a weird sort of way. Mm -hmm. Like too close to the real history in, in terms of actual figures for it to be reasonable. Yeah, it's it's a little weird, but I enjoyed it. I mostly just because like this whole setting and concept of a movie, like a a western, but a Canadian western, is just mm-hmm. new to me. And I, and the novelty is a lot of what I enjoy. And yeah, the river fight was awesome. The massacre was awesome. Yeah, there's definitely good stuff, and I do like a Canadian western. I think we could use some more interesting like i would love more canadian spaghetti western specifically please oh my god yeah it's interesting but it definitely has flaws and be prepared to snooze through some parts of it yeah oh yeah like we there was so much of them just hanging out in the cabin we just skipped right over it because nothing fucking happened yeah just a tedious quasi romance where one of them is sort of not into it at all but kind of needs to put up with it yeah <laughs> so our second or our third film this week is a christmas story by bob clark directed night uh directed by bob clark 1983 uh great canadian director previously uh covered his movie black christmas i still can't believe these are the same <laughs> director oh Hell my yeah. fuck it's <laughs> great like like the whole time i was waiting the whole time i'm watching a christmas story Knowing that it's the Black Christmas director, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. There's no other shoe. No, it's a, just a really lighthearted, very low stakes. Yeah. There's not much of a plot. Kid wants a gun for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. He, he comes up with all these uh, all these different schemes that he didn't even need to do. And we've all done this. Mm. <laughs> it's a it, It's a very relatable Christmas movie. It's one that is one of the more down to earth. It's got... It it just really has the Christmas atmosphere nailed in a way that I think few others have. He doesn't even have to save Christmas. Christmas yeah. doesn't get cancelled. It's not even at risk of being cancelled. No, I mean, there's drama. Obviously, there's the thing with the dogs and they eat the turkey. 
Yeah, but it's like, it's nobody's life is going to get ruined over the events of this film, except yeah. maybe Schwartz. <laughs> I mean, Schwartz, just his life is pre-ruined. Things are not great there. He does not seem <laughs> to have the best home life. <laughs> his mother is very uh, deranged. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, this, I cannot, so this is my first time ever seeing this. Yeah. I can't believe that I've never seen this before. This would have been, if I had seen this at any point in my life, this would have been like my Christmas film. Uh, yeah, I, I have every year that I remember. I've basically seen this at Christmas time, sometimes a couple times. So I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. At least forty or fifty. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> uh, my my Christmas film was always Home Alone. Hmm. I did see Home Alone and Home Alone Two in the theater when they came out. Hmm. But I, they I... didn't stick with me. I didn't rewatch them a lot over the years. Oh, I rewatched Home Alone one like every year. I don't think I ever watched Home Alone two again. Yeah, you know, I can't think of having seen Home Alone two again. I probably saw it once more after seeing it in the theater, but very little recollection past that. I mean, it, it has the Tim Curry stuff, and there's some fun shit with the talkback machine. It's good stuff with that. I don't remember that. <laughs> he, <laughs> That's okay. he, there, there's the the mob movie Angels with Dirty Faces. I think it was right. called, and he's um, or I, it's Angels with it, it's based on Angels with Dirty Faces, and he's uh, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Oh, he, right, he plays yeah, that yeah. back over through the through the door. Anyway, <laughs> but this he doesn't. Ralphie doesn't even have to defend his house against burglars. He just has to defend himself against Scott Farkas every single day, but... Yeah, I mean, that, that's bullying for you. So, that's yeah, uh, what it is. <laughs> Zach Thomas, uh, uh, or sorry, Zach Ward as Scott Farkas. Uh, I love Zach Ward. The, he'd go on to be the brother from uh, that Titus sitcom in the yeah. late 90s, early aughts. He's little brother Dave on Titus, where he's great. And he's, like, super jacked now. I don't know if you've seen pictures of him modern he he's in the no. resident evil films as a russian if i recall correctly weird <laughs> and yeah he's jacked he's like a bodybuilder hmm. <laughs> interesting yeah. no i haven't seen that but for, apparently he was a kid who really never fit in and he got bullied quite a bit and then after this he just got bullied like crazy because oh. he was this iconic bully character oh no. and he's just moving around a lot and it just it was a horrible childhood oh, his, <laughs> Feel for oh him. my god yeah jesus like... uh, the guy who played schwartz i think ended up doing porn okay all right uh, i think <laughs> he was he's part of the pussy posse you know? The what? <laughs> With Leo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire and shit. He oh. did the movie that they did together for that group. Don's oh. Plum. Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, maybe he's not the one who was in pornography. They're, one of the dudes, maybe it's uh, Flick who was Scott Schwartz. One of the two. <laughs> yes uh, scott schwartz is the one who uh did pornography later on so flick which, which is the kid who gets his tongue stuck to the pole yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> and and these are like the type of uh, high stakes conflicts that we have in this mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Kid gets his tongue stuck to a pole. Um, Ralphie wants a BB gun for Christmas, but he might not get it, and he's really really concerned about that. Uh, the old uh, man fights the furnace a few times. Uh, he fights his car once. I love uh, Darren McGavin in this movie. He is like my favorite movie dad of all time. Maybe he's, he's one of the greats. I'm going to say just every line delivery is so interesting. Uh, like when, when they've got the lamp, <laughs> when, they, when they've set up the lamp and they've lit it up for the first time and it's, it's all set up. He's like, it's indescribably beautiful. It looks like the 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> You used up all the glue <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> I'm watching that scene and I'm like thinking, this is jo- this is Family Annihilator John List's origin story. <laughs> oh, the the lamp song is great. I have a light up lamp Christmas ornament, like a mini version of the lamp. Oh. <laughs> Nice, nice. I love, I love this stupid lamp. <laughs> he's ridiculous. like so, it's he's such like a, so proud of it. He's showing it off to his buddies. They're like, it's, it's his major lamp. award. <laughs> As an award. It's uh, This is one of the elements that's so 40s, right? It, like this men's club contest and you get this leg lamp, like a, a woman's leg in tights. It's very, the, the sort of thing that you would have in one of those men's clubs it, it feels weird in a home <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah but but he like displays it front and center in his living room window so that everyone can see it yeah well he's very yeah. proud of his major award yeah that he won from did we find out why he has this award or what he's yeah it's at it the for? start uh they're they're doing the quiz the great american oh. great characters in american literature uh <laughs> right what is the name of the lone ranger's nephew nephew's horse, horse. Victor, victor everyone knows that and like <laughs> what are you doing and like oh it might be worth a big prize filling out this quiz on the great characters in american literature so he fills that out and that's how he wins the lamp okay okay <laughs> <laughs> i just figured he's the type of guy who just sent his name into all these different sweepstakes i do figure he probably does a fair amount of this it's a thing to do this is the <laughs> 40s there isn't even television you yet. didn't yeah you didn't have tv and if you didn't care about uh little orphan annie you were gonna be bored <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i like ralphie's thing with little orphan annie where mom calls it his favorite show but he really was only in it for the code machine and now that he's found out what it's about he hates the show <laughs> oh yeah he's like he just wanted that pirate message. jazz <laughs> i'm gonna get like this secret message that nobody else is gonna have yeah it's a it's a commercial oh be sure to drink your ovaltine (laughs) that's that scene has my one of my favorite scene transitions in all of film oh i know i think you know exactly what i'm talking about yeah (laughs) and i'm like i'm watching that i'm like did they do that on purpose it's incredible that on purpose but that is subtle uh after ralphie is finally or not ralphie um the 
uh shit what's the his little brother's name uh randy 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 is finally let into the bathroom after ralphie decodes the message and he opens up the toilet and we cut to the uh pot of red cabbage opening on the <laughs> stove it's perfect it's a great uh, match red cut. cabbage <laughs> you love red cabbage ralphie <laughs> you love red cabbage <laughs> you donate blood voluntarily ralphie <laughs> <laughs> so we open with like uh, i kind of wish i existed in this era just for the like the aesthetic mm. of the christmas displays incredible in, like, yeah 1940s america like it's not new york but it's new york yeah it's like small town usa but everybody did it because it just becomes the center of town when you do that yeah and they, like they all have like their their cool winter trench coats and their hats and the cool 40s cars and oh it's great yeah the the whole atmosphere of this movie i love to live in it it's why it's so great to return to every year mm-hmm. and yeah this is just, just like it's i'm nostalgic for something that i didn't experience mm-hmm. totally even though like I'm, I'm definitely not one of those people like it would have been crappy to be in the 40s otherwise <laughs> like most well, things yes. about it were not great uh yeah. <laughs> things are much better but uh there are elements that is like why don't we still do some of that shit that that's cool that's yeah that's that's stuff we could still do uh-huh. yeah well even going from like the 2010s to the 2020s it's like why don't we still do this <laughs> that is true yeah yeah uh, things that foster a sense of community that uh have been lost to time uh-huh so this is where he sees the Red Rider carbine action 200 shot range model air rifle with the compass and stock and this thing that tells time. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have it written down and you just nailed it word for word. Yeah, I've seen this movie 50 times. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm going to write this down because I'll forget and it's important to get it right. Because it will come up a lot. He says it a bunch of times and sometimes he says it really fast. Uh, like when, when he's talking to Santa and Santa's played by someone we've seen and stuff before. He's in, I want to say he's in Deranged. Oh, uh, let me just look him up real quick. Uh, yes, he is in Deranged. Or no, he directed Deranged. Right. Or no, no, no. He played the director in Deranged. Is that what it is? Hmm. I, I, I don't know. No, no. Yes, he directed Deranged. He was the director. Uh, oh. And he... Oh, right. I also know him from Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. and he plays fats in wild rebels which is a classic mystery science theater episode anyway when when uh ralphie's in his lap and he finally remembers it and he reels it off like super fast red rider carbon action 200 shot range model air rifle (laughs) where the covers in the stock and the thing that was shell's time yeah and uh he he's like you'll shoot your eye out kid ho 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 (laughs) <laughs> boot <laughs> i i really like the matter of factness of the santa uh yeah um <laughs> just like the way he just gently boots him down the slide <laughs> yeah no <laughs> <laughs> so the first time he tells his parents about the rifle first well first he's trying to like mind game them into 
guessing that this is what he wants. Yeah, he's putting the go. ad in people's books. Like, each of them have the magazines, and he slips it into them. <laughs> Look magazine. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's like a, a Flick said he saw some grizzly bears over by the candy store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and everyone's just kind of like, okay. They looked at me like I had lobsters crawling out of my ears. <laughs> oh, this is one of the ones where, like, the kid's story is being narrated by the adult version. Right. Uh, so this is actually the guy who wrote the book and whose life this is based on. Oh, okay. Uh, it's okay. the real guy, Gene Shepard, and you do see him in the movie. Oh. Uh, he's the guy when they're uh, getting in line for Santa Claus. It's like, the line ends here. It starts oh, over there. That guy. Okay, okay. That's him, yeah. Oh, so this is his life. Yeah, I mean, his semi-fictionalized life. (laughs) Sure, sure. But, you know, this is all stuff that I can believe happening. I mean, a lot of this stuff has happened to me, just not all in the same year. Oh, for sure. A great title for the book, by the way. Did you catch that in the opening credits? Oh, no, I didn't. Uh, His book is titled In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. That's cute. (laughs) (laughs) So after the thing with the grizzly bears just does not work out, his mother asks him, do you want anything for Christmas? And of course, the answer is a Red Rider. Yeah. Red Rider carbine. Yeah. The Red Rider carbine action, 200 shot range, range ball air rifle with this, with a compass in the thock and this thing that tells time. It's like, mm, you'll shoot your eye out. <gasps> the <laughs> oh, one the classic mom BB gun block. <laughs> for which there is no defense yeah <laughs> he is ruined <laughs> yeah and then like he he's just trying to scheme different ways that he can get it for the rest of the movie yeah and, and also fantasizing about different things uh, fantasizing of, about victory a lot of wild fantasies uh fact both victory and loss like True. when he fantasizes that he goes blind from the soap Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What did we do to make you blind? What what did we do to bring you to this lowly state? (laughs) (laughs) That's one of those really tremendous McGavin deliveries. (laughs) Uh, So here he dreams about being a cowboy and just shooting the shit out of people. Yeah, uh, a bunch of guys who are like very hamburglar. Sort of, yeah, they've got the black and white stripes and the toques and the the beanies, and they when they're all dead in a pile, they've got X's on their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. I love little Ralphie. Yeah, uh, as, as black kid Bart. actors go. <laughs> Oh yeah, As no, kid he's actors great. Go, this is I agree. This uh, is an S tier performance. Peter Billingsley, one of the great child actors. He only did a few uh movies in his time because like he just really felt like this character in all of them. Uh I have like the three main ones he did. Uh there's the Dirt Bike Kid, where he's this kid who's just completely obsessed with dirt bikes. <laughs> okay. okay. It's weird, very strange. He's got sure. this coach who is a complete fuck up and he runs a hot dog stand but there's like an evil businessman who runs the bank who wants to tear down the hot dog stand because he hates him uh anyway and there's also death valley which is a slasher that he's the main character in 
What? He's, he's being stalked by a slasher through like the, I, I think it's Death Valley. Okay. Crazy movie. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and he's really good I, in all of them, but he's very similar. Like he's kind of this character in all three. Hmm. Well, this character works in this movie. Totally. <laughs> works great. He's perfect. Pitch perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have <laughs> we have them getting ready for school and like the <laughs> ridiculous coat that the little brother has to wear. <laughs> yeah. I can't put my arms down. Mm-hmm. Put them down when you get to school. Randy looked like a tick ready to pop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh the uh the first thing to happen is the tongue stuck to the bowl yeah because they're arguing <laughs> about it on the way to school and it's like ah, that's a bunch of baloney you're old man and all of that stuff <laughs> yeah it's like no no there's one guy did it and they had to get the fire department to save him yeah right you're full of baloney uh <laughs> well you know what i double dog dare you i triple dog dare you <sighs> Breach of etiquette. I, I do like his uh, sort of like sports commentary on their uh, conversation about it, too. Yeah, the slight breach of, of etiquette. <laughs> but, you know, he was triple dog dared. He has to do it. <laughs> this is really stupid, guys. Uh, and yeah, he, he puts his tongue and immediately freezes to it. This is real shit. This does happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. I I think I've done this. Oof. Um, did the fire department have to be called <laughs> no no but it wasn't it was it wouldn't be it fun pleasant it, it isn't I, I just love like they all go to class and they just leave him out there and you can see him through the window just like spinning his arms around <laughs> please help me please please don't leave just... me the bell rang. <laughs> <laughs> then the cops and the fire department come and it's a whole thing <laughs> And of course, Ralphie and uh, Schwartz are the only ones who just don't even get up to look because they know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And the teacher is like, well, I'm not going to punish you because no punishment will exceed the guilt that you feel. Well, it's because she does not know who did it. Or yeah. She hasn't got like Flick hasn't said and uh-huh. they haven't admitted it. And she's like, I think you should come forward. And I hope the guilt that you feel is enough for poor Flick. And it's like adults love saying shit like that <laughs> come on yeah. it's always better getting away with it <laughs> meanwhile i'm just imagining a flick in purple hell <laughs> i told a kid to stick a tongue to a pole <laughs> yeah now i'm really hot i although i feel like he could get away with that as, as long as he accepts god <laughs> oh well yeah if you accept god you could do all that shit yeah right uh so yeah flicks brought in with like an elaborate bandage on his tongue that's very comical (laughs) (laughs) flick looks so sad without his uh aviator cap that he's got on all in every other scene of the movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) so uh so the assignment for the week or the day or whatever is to write a theme what I want for Christmas, and this is Ralphie's time to shine. He's like, oh my god. This assignment. We can do this. He knows what he wants for Christmas. Oh, he's never known anything more. <laughs> so he writes uh, his uh, his incredible theme. <laughs> uh, is it on the way home the... that they first meet uh, Scott yeah, Farkas? Yeah, it's on the way home here that they first meet Scott Farkas. And Grover <laughs> Dill. 
<laughs> Overkill. So now one thing that as a kid I never understood, and now I think I do, is the whole Ginger's not having a soul meme. I think it originates <laughs> from this fucking kid. I think this movie definitely heavily influenced that. Yeah. Because... Uh, yeah he's he's so he he's such a great kid villain he's tremendous he he really inhabits it and like yellow eyes i swear he's to god got, like, yellow eyes squint and that like racist smile and and he, it's he acts it, like a feral wild child just a perfect uh uh mean kid laugh like a proto yes. nelson Muntz. ha 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 <laughs> oh, you're gonna cry <laughs> squeeze some tears out <laughs> amazing and he's got like this little buddy grover dill who looks like a, a miniature al capone <laughs> yeah i love this kid he's he's really <laughs> tiny but he's the toady <laughs> he's got like the tough guy hat <laughs> yeah and he's and, just teeny tiny, and of course, uh, Schwartz or not Schwartz, uh, Farkas, he's got to be like several years older than them, right? <laughs> oh, gotta be. I don't think he goes to the same school because <laughs> he just hangs out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like a junior high kid, probably. He's got to be like 14, I think so. But uh, yeah, so the, he grabs, I think, Flick and twists his arm. Maybe Schwartz. I can't remember which one he grabs. He gets them all eventually. Yeah, he he goes after everybody. Uh, this is the part where Brandy lay on the ground like a slug. It was his only defense. <laughs> and I love that after this, all the scene transitions are just them in fast motion running away from the bullies. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good until until a bully stops being a problem. Yeah, yeah, because uh, Ralphie fucking takes him out. <laughs> he fucking kicks the shit out of him. The the, the snap moment is really tremendous. Him oh, just like great. beating him and doing the constant stream of cursing. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the the father with his streams of cursing. That's like a, a Yosemite Sam temper tantrum. Oh, one of my favorite lines when he's describing how his dad wove a tapestry of uh, obscenity that still must be hanging in the air somewhere over Lake Michigan. It's so, <laughs> so beautifully written. <laughs> uh, it's really great. Because <laughs> uh, when we hear the dad swearing, it's every time he's fighting the furnace. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he's just like, you could hear him from like the vents. He's like, razzer, razzer. Yeah. It's like making up words and it's it's incredible. It's so good. Yeah. Oh man. Apparently, uh, according to uh the Wikipedia, uh Jack Nicholson was considered for the role. Ooh, uh I think McGavin is perfect. So. No, I think yeah. McGavin, like uh, Bob Clark has said he's really glad he got he chose McGavin. I don't think Jack Nicholson. It would have been a different movie. He would have been too menacing. <laughs> like, imagine hey, Ralphie, the, why don't you just ha hold the nuts in the bowl? That's exactly the scene I was thinking of. How menacing he would be there. Did you hear what Ralphie just said? <laughs> you hear what your son just said? You want to know? <laughs> it, it would feel like that scene in The Shining when they're driving up. You used up 
the glue on purpose. <laughs> you used it. I mean, it would be a shining esque performance, which is him yeah, doing is. slapstick. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, yeah, Jack Nicholson. Ooh, it would be weird. This role. Yeah, I not love Jack, but no, it would be it would be very menacing. I mean, McEvan <laughs> is so perfect. He He's is. my favorite part of the movie, and I love this movie. <laughs> So after after he gets home from his first encounter with the bully, he sets down to write his theme. Uh, the dad comes home, and this is where we first hear about the neighbor's 750 basset hounds, uh, or whatever it is, at German least, shepherds. At least 785 smelly hound dogs, the bumpuses. The bumpuses. The bumpus Who hounds. ignore everybody in the world except for my father. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, <laughs> there's that bit where he slams the door and one of the dog's ears is stuck in it. And it's just like this piece of fabric that they've got going up and down. <laughs> and have a sound effect of a dog just making the horrendous noise. Like, yeah. you smelly buggers right. <laughs> uh, we got the brother playing with his food. <laughs> Mommy's little piggy. <laughs> oh it's so gross <laughs> oh yeah the dad i love the dad just like hiding behind the newspaper he's like i don't want to see this he's he's too grossed out by it <laughs> <laughs> i'll make him eat just give me some wd-40 and i'll shove it in there <laughs> see that's the th that's one that jack nicholson would be terrifying saying it, it would be too much yeah he he would be menacing <laughs> whereas mcgavin just has just the right gentleness yeah yeah <laughs> like he, you can tell he's joking but like also he is annoyed and that's yeah great. there there is a little bit of a threat because he's a 40s dad but there is also like a twinkle in everything he says mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah uh, it's it another one of those perfect performances yeah, like you said for ralphie pitch, pitch perfect. perfect yeah uh the leg arrives <laughs> his <laughs> major award fucking box it's so they, big they can't even find it in the box and and it's not small so i i mentioned i have that christmas ornament it came in a, like a box that you open up and it's full of like <laughs> fake sawdust and stuff oh Great. that makes me so happy yeah awesome fragile uh, must be from italy or does he say from france uh, something france. like that <laughs> like it's fragile honey <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there's there's this whole saga about the leg that goes on throughout most of the movie it's not actually uh, that long I well think no it isn't like, there's only a couple scenes there's like a solid just three scenes out. in the center because there's him setting it up and ralphie loves it yeah <laughs> mother was trying to insinuate herself between me and the lamp <laughs> <laughs> that's the like mother, a norman bass line <laughs> 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 uh, yeah the mom hates the lamp of course and yeah. the dad displays it in the living room window and he's like bragging to his buddies about it the buddy's like oh yeah i, I don't like he sort of has a rivalry with this guy swede i think that's the his like get out of here swede oh, I, his I don't have time fighters? for you yeah he kind of has that sort of they're they're neighbors and they know each other it's like get, get out of here swede can't you see i'm busy yeah. <laughs> well you say you won that <laughs> <laughs> uh 
we have the the scene of him handing in his theme, and it's just so moving, and everybody claps. <laughs> yeah, him him imagining like also Miss Shields in like a femme fatale dress with like a big hat and cigarette holder. Wrong, wrong. The margins. F F. If I see one more F, and then of course she dramatically does a reading of uh, the Ralph Red is... Rider Carbine Action Two Hundred Shot Range Model Air Rifle with a compass in the stock and the and thing which thing tells time, which tells time. Oh, Ralphie! <laughs> she like writes A's all over the board. The whole class stands up and claps. And he's it's it's the chocolate gag, the chocolate factory, yep. uh, land <laughs> of chocolate just, gag from The Simpsons. Yeah, because he's just standing at the desk, and the teacher's like, "Sit down now, Ralphie." <laughs> like, thank you, sit Ralphie. Down. You can sit down now. And the whole class. <laughs> I I also like that it's not even humiliating to him. He's still like he's still in a cloud about it. He just sits oh, down yeah. happily. <laughs> oh, I love this fucking kid. <laughs> <laughs> he's got gumption. <laughs> I love uh, the. I've called it Charlie Brown's Christmas Tree Emporium. Yeah, all these shitty, shitty Christmas trees. Uh, the guy, the the Christmas tree salesman is the guy who does the phone hacking in Black Christmas. Oh, okay. Cool. The really cool dude who goes into the oh the yeah, phone and he has to like and... follow actually yeah. physically follow. I remember that now. Yeah, he's that dude. Cool. So they they finally find a tree that's not as shitty as the other ones. Oh, also, uh, I'm. He's Tom Sims in Deranged, the guy, the reporter, the guy who talks to the the screen all the time. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, man, I just think that's crazy that this has like such a shared <laughs> background with freaking Deranged and Black Christmas. This is so great, <laughs> like the most wholesome fucking Christmas story I've maybe seen. Yeah. <laughs> Like, like I can't explain how much I'm still waiting for, like, something to happen. But at this point, I'm like, I don't think this is going to be that kind of movie. I think he just did a completely different genre. Yeah, and it's so effectively, like, shockingly yeah. well. I mean, Bob Clark does later go on to do, I think, the Baby Geniuses movies. Oh. Weirdly enough. <laughs> okay uh he, or he yeah he does baby geniuses and baby geniuses 2 uh in the 90s late 90s he does a sequel to a christmas story in the mid 90s that i've never seen very little known uh i don't think this movie needs a sequel it has multiple sequels now uh but uh, 1994 well, my summer story <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. Never seen it. But like before this, he directed the two Porky's movies. Oh right. <laughs> so just a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I, I believe Ralphie in my summer story is Kieran Culkin. Okay. Which makes sense. It's the 90s. Yeah. You're gonna get a Culkin. Yeah, yeah. Uh he, he Ralphie kind of has like a little bit of proto-Culkin energy. Yeah. Uh, and the dad is Charles Grodin, which is decent. That's that's okay. a pretty pretty decent pick. And Mary Steenburgen as uh, the mom. Oh, okay, okay. Well, yeah. 
not bad. And you I still don't know if I'm going to see it, but <laughs> no, I probably won't. I mean, maybe eventually, but uh, Kieran Culkin and Christian Culkin as Ralphie and Randy. Okay, okay, they got brothers and they got Miss Shields back, the same actress. Oh, wow, <laughs> that's cool. Anyway, they brought the teacher back. Okay, yeah, <laughs> but there's like they did a Christmas story two in mm. like 2000. 17 uh, or something oh, i hear it's fucking no. terrible uh 2012 straight to dvd oh just you telling me the year <laughs> that it happened <laughs> yeah made me lose all interest yeah. and i wasn't interested to begin with <laughs> yeah so i i've i've never indulged in the sequels i've stuck with just the one <laughs> no fair enough well who knows though christmas story 2 could be psycho 2 I doubt Christmas story. Like, I've I've heard mostly bad things about a Christmas story. Yeah. I've heard nothing about my summer story. I kind of do want to check yeah. that one out at some point. Okay. I mean, it's a good cast. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it. And it is Bob Clark directing again for that one. Well, that's good at least. So yeah, it has potential. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, so on the way home from the Christmas tree emporium, they blew out a tire. <laughs> and the dad goes to fix it and mom's like ralphie why don't you go help your dad yeah my my dad liked to imagine himself in the pit crew the indy 500 uh i i like the line about the tires uh uh they were the my dad's spare tires were uh they, they were only conventionally tires like they were full of air they they were mostly made of rubber <laughs> or they were once made of rubber that's yeah <laughs> that's a great line yeah, they were a, once made of they rubber. were once made of rubber because they've been patched so many times <laughs> oh god so <laughs> so of course you know he's got the he gets the easy job he gets to hold the bowl that the lug nuts are kept in an easy but crucially important job Yep, and his dad <laughs> knocks it out of his hand. The bolts go flying everywhere. And oh, I, I thought he was going to say it. But I didn't say fudge. I said the word, the F double dash word, or the <laughs> F dash dash word. I love how everybody reacts when they find out. Like the dad <laughs> tells the mom, the mom screams, shrieks, <laughs> Ralphie. And we, we smash cut to him with the huge red bar of soap in his mouth. Life boy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and he's complaining about like the different flavors of soap and comparing and contrasting them. Yeah, Dove. And uh, I, I can't remember which way. Uh, I think pears or something. And light piquant after dinner flavor to it. <laughs> but life boy. Ugh. And this is where he has his fantasy about the soap poisoning and he goes blind and <laughs> <laughs> he just comes home one day with the blind person outfit, but he's still little kid him, yep. <laughs> which is so great. What have we done to bring you to this lowly state? Uh, yeah, this soap poisoning. <laughs> I love them harmonizing their wails of despair. That's oh, beautiful. Yes. <laughs> so good. Uh, the mom asked Ralphie where he learned that word, and of course the answer was his dad. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, I've heard my dad say that word at least 50 times a day for my entire life. <laughs> and he's like, uh, but, but he's I, like... I chickened out, and he says, Schwartz. I'm like, I see. 
And man, her calling, like, I love the cartoon voice of Mrs. Schwartz on the other end of the line. <laughs> oh, what? yeah. Do you know what, what? he said? <laughs> she's like, not that. <laughs> and we hear her traveling through the house screaming, starting to beat him. Like, well, what did I do, Ma? <laughs> <laughs> he, he shows up to school the next day with the black eye. <laughs> with the black eye. I, uh, Ralphie has a really great line about uh, the inevitable hand of uh, official justice <laughs> <laughs> oh the next day is when he gets the decoder finally he finally gets the decoder and he excitedly... he's been waiting for it in the mail he's been talking about it and he decodes it and of course it's just an ad for ovaltine and he gets <laughs> really mad at it <laughs> it's like so intense he's like he takes it up into the bathroom to decode it right and like it's like Randy needs to go. He needs to go yeah. really bad. I'll be out in a second, Ma. <laughs> and it's like the intensity of like a bomb diffusing. It really like you get these close-ups of his face. He keeps licking his lips and close-ups <laughs> on his fingers. And then I, I, it's so great. The one deployment of a, a proper curse word in the movie. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a commercial. <laughs> Crummy commercial? And the, uh, then we have that incredible match cut to the red cabbage, of course. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, and while the father is fighting with the furnace, the leg lamp mysteriously falls down and breaks all on its own. Oh no, the mother was uh, watering her plants and she accidentally brushed it and and... We have the you used up all the glue on purpose. purpose. <laughs> so good. Uh, uh, not a he tries, to, <laughs> <laughs> he, he tries to fix it himself and it just falls apart in his hands. <laughs> he, he glues it all back together and it, he it's it's working, but he puts the lampshade on. The lampshade's too heavy and it just crushes it back down to nothing. <laughs> Later so he, he <laughs> Uh, he he buried it alone uh, in uh, by uh, beside the garage, and I'm not sure, but I think I heard taps being played, <laughs> softly being played. So, so the next day at school, he gets his theme back, and he the one that you know everyone was moved to tears by, and he only got a C plus. And C a comment. plus, you'll shoot your eye out. And then we have that great bit where Miss <laughs> Shields and his mom are the Wicked Witch of the West and a clown. And they're uh, like, like a, yeah, <laughs> you'll shoot your eye out. You'll shoot your eye out. <laughs> Very bizarre little fantasy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A lot of Wizard of Oz stuff in here because it was Actually, new. Yeah. Uh, it was supposed to be like th this is set in the early '40s, so it's the big cultural thing at that point in time because it came out in 1940. Yeah, and it was like gigantic. Well, yeah, it, <laughs> I, I can't even imagine how big that would have been. Yeah. So when when they're at the uh, department store later, you have all these people dressed as characters from. Wizard of Oz just wandering through the crowd. It's cool. It's it's fun to see a a uh, black witch like with the green skin and all that in the black mm -hmm. dress wandering through a Christmas setting. It's fun. Yeah, I I just uh, it, it's such a fully realized uh, historical setting. Like it, it's it's amazing how much detail they have in it. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, they only have 
decorations in the window of characters that existed at the time and how they were drawn at the time. Mm-hmm. Like like the old school looking Mickey Mouses and Donald Ducks. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really good for that. Well, just the whole department store is so cool. I love the mm-hmm. Santa Tower. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like giant throne altar thing with the slide. And all the stairs up to it. Yeah. So after getting Ralphie's in a bad mood. He just got a C plus back on what he thought was his magnum opus. And who decides to pick a fight with him? He gets hit in a snowball and it knocks his glasses off. So that like, oh shit, you could break my glasses. And he fucking goes nuclear. (laughs) He just runs, tackles Scott Farkas, and just starts wailing on him and wailing on him for like a good couple minutes. Well, like the entire school arrives and just like everybody is around him seeing it and... (laughs) And, like, the mom shows up. He's like, oh, Ralphie, Ralphie, your mother. (laughs) (laughs) I I love the brother in, like, hiding in the cupboard. It's like, dad's going to kill Ralphie. Daddy's not going to kill Ralphie. Yes, he is. (laughs) And she just gives him a cookie and and some milk and just closes (laughs) him back in the closet. And, like, fine, fine, whatever. You can stay under the cupboard. Then the mom totally covers for him. Yeah, it's it's a sweet moment. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, he had a little fight. It was no big deal. And I couldn't believe it, but I was slowly beginning, beginning to realize that I might not get in trouble for this. <laughs> yeah, which is cool. <laughs> uh, next, my favorite part. Well, I don't know if it's my favorite part. There's hmm. a lot of favorite parts. But next is uh, Santa. Oh yeah, the, finally meeting Santa. Yeah, they go to the parade, and Ralphie is just in a hurry to get out of there. I'm like, fine, fine, we can go now. And we meet Gene Shepherd. Because <laughs> you know, Santa, he, if he can ask Santa for the carbine Red Rider two hundred shot action rifle with a time thing, <laughs> then he can bypass the parents. Yeah, it's the the perfect backdoor. And I, there's a couple lines in there that I find really funny because he says. Like, to be honest, most of us were scoffers. Like, yeah, I don't know if I necessarily believe in Santa, but you gotta just give it a shot. <laughs> it's like, I, I admit it's it's a real Hail Mary pass, but what else have I got? <laughs> yeah, right? Like, <laughs> I, I love this fucking NPC kid who they're behind in line. <laughs> I like Santa. He's like a character you you have in Earthbound who has like a couple sayings. I like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I like the Tin Man. <laughs> <laughs> then that kid gets up to Santa and Starts he starts screaming. <laughs> uh, also, I think he's wet. He's wet himself. He's like, oh, it's a wet. One thing. of the kids has. <laughs> I think he uh, might be, but I'm not sure if it is. But uh, I don't know, but he starts screaming immediately. Get him off me, he's wet. <laughs> <laughs> and then Randy starts screaming. Yeah, Randy immediately oh, starts screaming scream. too. Uh, then it's Ralphie's turn, but he you freezes ever, up. <laughs> you ever get to the moment where you have to say the perfect thing, like say uh when you're doing a podcast and somebody asks you any final thoughts? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just and freezes just up. Can't think, yeah, he, he can't think of what he wants to say. He's just like what 
what am what I do doing want, here? Kid? Oh my god! How about a football? Football? What? What's a football? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I heard myself mouthing the words football, and then he's finally pushed down the slide, and he's like, oh, "Stop!" And him climbing like, back crawling, up, crawling, craw clawing his way back <laughs> up the slide, and like, the no. The look that used to be, like, I think it's on the cover of uh, this version, which is the DVD version. I actually haven't upgraded this to Blu-ray because I've had it forever. <laughs> it's the shot, he it's it's the face, the smile he gives after delivering the, no, no, wait, 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 wait. I want a Red Rider Carbon Action 200 shot range model air rifle with the compass of the stock of this thing. No, I think he just says the 200 shot range model air rifle. And yeah. like, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. But the... the the smile he gives and it goes ding i think that's <laughs> what's on the cover i think that's that, the look he's giving on the cover it's that that shot <laughs> that look this scene where he like just gently boots him down the slide so is, good it's actually like the the only thing that i had seen from this movie prior to watching oh, it where like just randomly yeah like hmm. just I all I know is that all I had known was that a Christmas story is about the kid with the goofy glasses who gets uh, goes on a wild adventure where Santa kicks him down a slide. <laughs> no, and then of course Randy <laughs> is still lying down there, has not moved since. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the parents come by and they're both just laying there in a pile. <laughs> Did Santa ask you if you were good? No, it's all right. He knows. He knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i love the santa claus he's like oh uh mr higgins has got another thing coming if he thinks i'm gonna stay here one minute past nine o'clock they're like I feel oh, you, santa. Oh, oh, oh. yeah i i really like the santa and the the two elves there there's the one really aggro uh <laughs> girl elf who is bringing them up and the guy who's a little more sympathetic who's at the top he's like come yeah. on kid <laughs> So Christmas morning comes. And it's snowed and it's beautiful. There's ice in the trees. It looks incredible. Oh, man, I miss... We we don't get white Christmases here. Very rare. We did last year. And that That's was true. like the second in the past 20 years. So, yeah, it, I, yeah. I, it is one thing that is nice about the rest of Canada. Kind of does mm -hmm. get it. But... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Not on the island. No, nope. Uh, but yeah, uh, just beautiful Christmas morning and they, they go down. Of course, uh, uh, Randy just, oh, that's mine. What's <laughs> this? Oh, that's mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we use Zeppelin. He gets a Zeppelin. Fire truck. Fire truck. The dad gets a bowling ball. A green, or a blue ball. <laughs> Didn't I get a tie this year? Oh, a can of Simon eyes. <laughs> <laughs> He's so happy about his car wax. <laughs> no, just every McGavin line in this is just like spitting out gold. <laughs> <sighs> oh, the Ralphie gets the worst uh, present. <laughs> he gets the fucking donnie darko bunny suit almost the the bunny outfit from aunt clara has been laboring yeah. under the the because of the misapprehension that i have been perpetually four years old and a girl <laughs> put on your present for aunt clara ralphie she worked very hard to make it <laughs> 
it, yeah, it is horrible. It's it's legendarily bad. It's on the original poster, but in white for some reason. Oh, weird. Instead of pink, because it's oh. very pink. It's so pink. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a pink nightmare. Tell him to take it off. <laughs> <sighs> so after all the presents are open, they finally ask Ralphie, like, hey, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? And he's like, just almost. about. Almost. And like, ah, it's always like that. I'm like, oh, hey, you know, maybe well, there's something there behind the desk. And mom's like, what did we leave behind the desk? I'm like, mm, Santa brought it. <laughs> 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 he opens it and of course it's the it BB is. gun it's the BB gun uh, and the mom's like oh no. like, I don't know uh, he's like I, I had one when I was seven years old come on <laughs> and he teaches him how to use it he goes out to use it outside and he shoots and his eye out <laughs> he shoots his eye out uh, stopped by the glasses yeah his glasses get knocked off and he steps on the glasses and breaks them so he has to make up a plot about being hit by an icicle ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah those icicles are always coming down they're real death traps <laughs> you're very lucky ralphie those icicles have been known to kill <laughs> but he you know, pulls the it turkey... off yeah he pulls it off and the turkey dinner is almost ready but when ralphie ran in after uh after getting icicled, he left the door open, and who should arrive but the freaking 783 Bumpus dogs. The Bumpus hounds, they come in, they they get the turkey, and uh, the old man uh, chases them out. I really love the delivery. Sons of bitches! Bumpuses! <laughs> <laughs> Like shaking his fist at them. <laughs> uh, so they have. We are going out for dinner, and they they have to go to the Chinese restaurant, and it's bowling. Cause oh. It used to be a bowling alley. Oh. Uh, like, if right. you look at it, it used to like yeah. <laughs> I never would have. Th- <laughs> it's it's cute. Yeah, it is cute, and they're they're singing Christmas carols. Uh, this is like the one part of the movie that doesn't hold up, and it's only about three seconds. It it definitely is like uh, it's a little rough, uh, yeah. But I I do love the bowling gag. I think that's mm-hmm. pretty funny. Bowling chop suey palace, uh, but yeah, they <laughs> they sing Christmas carols and they can't pronounce the L's and it's like okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's they're singing but it's very... la la la, but you it's exactly what you're imagining. Yeah, and. It, it's it's not that bad like it is very brief and it's like okay yeah. we move on it's like okay everyone you're blowing this go serve food please <laughs> <laughs> they they serve a big goose and they have to chop the head off like it's, it's <laughs> smiling at me is the thing it's like ah, and chop like ah! <laughs> <laughs> and that that's it <laughs> yeah they all have a great time and then yeah. it's they there's this really beautiful final moment where the kids have gone to bed and the mom and dad are just sitting, drinking wine, watching the snow. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, That's Christmas. <laughs> maybe it's my favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, I think it's mine. It's, it's certainly the, the one that I've seen the most. And it's the most Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like this, this is the one that captures what that Christmas spirit I keep hearing about mm-hmm. is all about. Yeah. Uh, not a whole lot of other movies 
a lot of other movies try and some succeed to varying degrees, but this one nails it. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's such a huge cultural icon now in the U S because like, it wasn't huge when it came out. It was sort of a minor hit and wasn't super popular, but then it just grew on TV showings over the years. Yeah, and then yeah. starting in the mid-90s, TBS would just do 24 hours of Christmas story. <laughs> How did I avoid it? It's not even like <laughs> it's not even that I wasn't interested. I mean, how did I not have this like forced upon me at some point? <laughs> yeah, it, it is wild to have not seen it. it. It is very surprising, but yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's excellent. It's um, definitely the best of the movies that we've covered today. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah. think it's not close. <laughs> yeah, hands down, easily the best. And, yeah, just it, it's one that I, like I said, I can quote almost every line of this movie and just from memory. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so we are uh, at the end of part two. Do you have any last thoughts? uh football uh, football <laughs> <laughs> what's a football uh no i'm just gonna go with an easy one that i can't fuck up merry christmas that even though would have happened like three weeks ago by the time this comes out yeah and happy new year which i mean it's happy new currently year. january 3rd so we're really <laughs> we're really in it all right yeah. happy 2024 people we'll head on to part three and we're back for part three, where we're talking about all the other movies we've watched on physical media in the past week and deciding what we're going to cover next week. And this is the first week of our New Year's resolutions we're going to do. Obviously, the whole month of January, as we usually do, uh, with certain restrictions on our picks. Or uh, this week, I'm going to do the pick. All right. I always love these. We always end up with something out of the ordinary we might end up not doing a yakuza movie that's true i don't we might like there is at least one in the list <laughs> uh in the watch stacks so oh yes, is, yes which is where we're going to begin uh first up is dirty money uh this is a canadian film a french canadian film uh early 70s a uh, denis akand who's really great uh french canadian director uh he he did a film called The Barbarian Invasions that was pretty big in the aughts, I want to say, uh, which was a sequel to his, I think it's Decline of the American Empire, which was a really excellent 80s French-Canadian film. These pretty major director. I think I've heard, but I don't think I've seen any of these, but I, I definitely have heard at least some of these titles. They're pretty good, as this is a pretty early one. Uh, he had this early trilogy of crime movies that are semi-satirical of uh, American crime cinema. They're set in French-Canadian territories, like somewhere in northern Quebec. Um, Interesting. So it's these, there's this couple, uh, this uh, lady, uh, very dour, very angry all the time. Their uh, their uncle comes to visit. It's the the husband's uncle comes to visit. Hasn't seen him in years, and he brings them five hundred dollars as a gift. Cool. And at first they're like, "Cool, that's that's great." I mean, every little bit counts. That's awesome. 
Uh-huh. But they grow really sour over the course of the evening. It's like, I mean, this guy, they think he's pretty rich and has a bunch of money hidden away. And he could definitely give them more than $500. Oh, yeah. You know, in the grand scheme of thing, I guess $500 isn't that much, is it? Hmm. So they get mad and eventually they'd get like the wife mainly uh, slowly turns really sour towards him and then she throws him out she refuses the 500 dollars, and then oh well, that's just counterproductive yeah and then she stews about it and then she calls some guys and then they're gonna go rob the uncle they're gonna okay. find all that money he's got hidden away and mm. while they're having the conversation with the uncle they're making fun of this guy who works for them who's a little slow uh and he overhears it so he's really mad at them too so he comes along and he takes over the robbery and kills one of the dudes that they have and just did lots of dead bodies left behind they do find a big sack full of cash but just people getting blown away left and right it's uh uh it just spirals totally out of control cool cool pretty good uh next we've got benny's bathtub okay (laughs) (laughs) uh this is a danish children's film uh very very strange early 70s so hr puffin stuff era definitely in that sense it's psychedelic as hell all right (laughs) the adult world is like grayscale photographs and then uh it's it's very simple animation like the character animation is very simple but these incredibly lush vibrant painted backgrounds when we're in his imagination world all right all right so this little boy benny uh he he catches a tadpole by the pond and then his mom makes him go in the bath and he has an adventure with tadpole an imagination scuba adventure with the tadpole in uh, the bath, but it becomes like, you know, a whole undersea kingdom. Oh yeah. I see on the poster there, there's like a sunken ship and everything. And there's the octopus who helps him. And there's some busty naked mermaids, which is weird. And all right. There's a crab who's with the police and he's always talking about how, Oh, you know, I keep a glove on it because my, my uh, claws. So, great and threatening and then you know he finally pulls it out and it's really tiny and useless and he's just the worst and he's just constantly wasting everyone's time Aww. uh there's skeleton pirates who sing this song about their uh pirate moms who are also busty and super dangerous and <laughs> it's weird it's it's totally bizarre uh notably on this it also has three episodes of this danish children's show called circleen and the special features they're all pretty short they're like 10 to 15 minutes and they're like uh it's it's this very basic show it's same director so similar visual style and kind of imagination land adventures right Mm -hmm. so it's about this little girl who lives in a matchbox and she has these three mouse friends and they go on adventures all right so there's three of them in the first one they build a snowman or a snow mouse. A mouse. That's snow. Right. Right. Uh, in the second one, they fly a kite. And in the third one, they go to America and they learn about racial injustice and they become friends with a black panther. And then he gets killed by police. 
Okay, hold, 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 hold on, hold on. Um, the, the, uh, it's a big jump, yeah. <laughs> uh, that escalated quickly? <laughs> yeah, apparently it was super controversial. What the <laughs> fuck? Yeah, yeah, well. Uh, next we've got Prime Cut. Uh, this is uh, early 70s, new Hollywood kind of crime film that's sort of self-examining crime this has come up before it either mm-hmm. in the stacks or in conversation hasn't it i have watched it at least once uh in the past year or so uh so it's lee marvin as a chicago mobster and he's like a chicago mob enforcer uh, okay he's sent down to take care of gene hackman who's the boss in kansas city who's supposed to be subservient to Chicago, but he owes them a bunch of money and they've been sending guys and like the last guy came back as sausages. Oh, okay. That's actually the opening scene. We see that guy being processed on the assembly line and like we see some hooves going through and then like his shoe falls on the belt and stuff. It's cute. Dang. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So they send Lee Marvin down to deal with it. And it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff about the meat business, but paralleling it with sex trafficking. Oh. So, you know, the farm to table element of it, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. It, it, it's hmm. uh, how raising up uh, women from orphanages to sell them into sex traffic and the way, and they have like cattle auctions for women that are like these private they're you know they're held in the same place as the right, actual right. cow things really crazy stuff pretty wild uh it's sissy spacek's first film she's oh. a sex worker who just happens to reach up to lee marvin and say please help me so she's the one who gets out of it <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh pretty crazy stuff really good uh great cast Cool, cool. I might check it out this time. Next is Voodoo Heartbeat, uh, which is the next one in the Vinegar Syndrome Lost Picture Show. Uh, (laughs) uh, This one started out as a porno, uh, from what I read in the liner notes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But uh, somewhere along the way, all of the porn scenes got cut out. Uh, There's, I think there's maybe a little bit left in, but I think what's left in it's maybe softcore, but you don't see much of anything. There's still some sex, but it mostly just feels like a porno without the porn. Like it's stiff. The acting is bad. They keep flubbing lines and nobody goes back <laughs> to fix anything. Oh man. I'm now my imagination is like, Hey, I'm here to fix your sink. And then he <laughs> fixes the sink. Well, it's because I mean, you just got missing stuff. So uh, there's, this whole thing about some super soldier serum. They, they've built a super strength serum, uh, but it's also like a sex serum and it drives people insane. Okay. Uh, and it's being transported and then there's a gunfight and uh, the like. people get away with it and it's handcuffed to someone's wrist, but they die. Like nobody makes it out of the gunfight and just this random doctor happens by and he hacks off the the wrist and takes the takes the suitcase home and he tries out the serum and he <laughs> goes insane he becomes thirsty for blood and he's just like ripping people apart and 
you know. I am a doctor. I'm <laughs> going to try this stuff in a suitcase that I found on a corpse. Yeah, I, it's it's bizarre. A totally insane thing. Uh, also known as the sex serum of Dr. Blake. <laughs> okay, well, you know what? That tells me a lot about the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, similar vibe to Steckler in a way, but more lo-fi. It's oh. also Las Vegas. Uh, and, oh, okay. You know, very cheap and... Lower five than Steckler? Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, this one didn't get released or kind of well, was lost. Yeah, that's, it, I, I, guess I guess it, that's, I guess it got released a couple times, but uh, limited and mm. yeah, because it was a porno and then it wasn't. Right. <laughs> uh, next from the Sunny Chiba collection, volume two is the Great Okinawa Yakuza War, which is so it's, it's like, much like um, uh, 13 Steps of Maki was Stray Cat's knockoff mockbuster. This is Yakuza Papers, Battles Without Honor and Humanity mockbuster. Okay. That's, that could be all right. So it's fictional. Like, it's not actually based on real characters the way Yakuza Papers is. Um Right. And it's uh, Chiba as sort of the head guy in Okinawa, but the mainland is trying to move in and he's trying to fight back against it. It's just every character is unlikable and they're all just totally desperate. Most of them are just getting killed off. You don't get to know many of them long. Chiba's there for like half of it. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, at least he's in it. He's in it a fair amount. Like, he is pretty much the main character for, like, half of it, but he gets killed off. Spoilers. Oh, okay. but, yeah. <laughs> uh, very insane violence. Like, there's tons and tons of violence, and that is where it shines, but it's kind of like uh, both Hudson River Massacre and Savage Beach in that it's one of these that the energy isn't right. And when you're in the dialogue scenes, I just drift. So it's really <laughs> hard to keep track of what was happening because the dialogue scenes just totally stop dead. They don't have that kind of, they don't maintain the kinetic energy the way Yakuza Papers does. So okay. it, it's very, a shame. it's very stop start. And I couldn't tell you any of the, uh, any of like the plot because it, like those, it's a million things. It's just, doesn't have the same reality to it because it's kind of absurd but they're also right. just doing like uh an entire season of a series as a movie <laughs> kind of thing and it's like oh no <laughs> it's it, it, it's interesting but like i i need to see it again i guess <laughs> and maybe <laughs> i can take it in uh, all right a little better uh next is the outwaters which is a found footage film. Okay. It's like a found footage cosmic horror. So like Lovecraftian horror, unknowable giant things in the desert and like rifts in time and being swallowed and going out through the beast and Ooh. being reborn and uh, very interesting and pretty compelling at times. Uh, it uh -oh. might work better on your screen because you have a pretty big screen uh, uh yeah there's a lot of parts where there's just like a tiny little circle 
<laughs> it's it's just like by flashlight in the dark in the middle of the desert so there's nothing and uh there's a lot of time that's like i have no idea what i'm looking at or anything was happening <laughs> and it's also like it doesn't make a lot of sense uh it it is very bizarre like it is meant to be uh, sort of unknowable and there are some cool moments where they are doing a thing where there is some huge thing and you're seeing bits of it with just the bit of the flashlight that you can see that are kind of cool but a lot of the time it's just someone is in the desert trying to get away from things or find out what's going on and you as the audience are still just seeing a tiny little disc in the far distance and like i don't know what i'm looking at <laughs> That, yeah, that doesn't sound very interesting, which is a shame because I love cosmic horror shit. Yeah, I mean, and there's some really good stuff for that. Uh, some of it reminds me of in VHS, you know, the one where it's the alien abduction where they get taken up into the craft and then they go through this thing and like these tubes. Uh, I think so. Yeah, there, there's a lot of it. It has a lot of that flavor to it. I guess part of the problem is it's also uh, very navel gazing. Like it, it the the main character is played by the director, and he has the director's name, and uh, he's sort of the only survivor of whatever bizarre event initially happens. And then it's him sort of repeating through the events, but. You know, you come back to things and everyone's all bloody. It's, okay. I don't know. Uh, it, it's, again, one that maybe would need a rewatch. And, again, bigger screen would be good. It, it's probably one that really needs a theatrical experience, maybe. Hmm. All right. Uh, <laughs> or just a really big screen. And, uh, like, there's a solid 25 minutes at the start where almost nothing pertinent happens. <laughs> it really, like it's almost two hours long and it should have been like 80 minutes. There, there's so much extraneous crap that is useless. Like you don't get to know the characters. You just have to endure the characters. Oh, one of those. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, next is fatal games. This is uh, an Olympic themed slasher. Oh, <laughs> so a slasher get a shot put in the face. I think there might be a shot put thing. It's mostly the javelin. The uh, javelin is the murder weapon in this. That's a good one. Not bad. So uh, it is at a Olympic training camp. So a training academy and uh, everybody's really driven. So it's all it's Olympic hopefuls. They're all dead. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is a camp thing, but you know it's training camp and they're Olympic athletes and they're all horny and it's got kind of that teen thing vibe, but it's not shot very well. <laughs> it's pretty bad looking. Like some of the kills are pretty impressive. The atmosphere is really sleazy, scuzzy stuff. Like it's it's one of the more gross feeling ones. Like it's one of those slashes you want to have a shower after watching. Ooh, okay. But the final twist really sucks. It's total fucking shit. And it, you can also see it coming from a ways off. And it's just the way it's deployed is frankly offensive. Uh, <laughs> it has a great theme song. I will give it that. Hmm. All right. <laughs> next, uh, next from uh, the New Year's party, one that you watched uh, and I have previously watched, The Rare Blue Apes of Cannibal Isle. 
We're the rare blue apes of Cannibal Isle. Repeat 77 times. We're the uh, rare blue apes of Cannibal Isle. Yeah. Oh, they're going to blame it on the Bobo. I, I love the Bobo song, quite honestly. <laughs> I do like the music in general, like just that ARP synth that never stops in the movie. It's It's not... I don't remember it too good. <laughs> I just remember thinking that I feel like, like, like we were saying, it feels like a Chuck E. Cheese movie. Yeah, it feels like this had to have been a theme park of some kind and they were just trying to do a thing with it. But yeah, uh, it's it's a truly mysterious film and compelling. Like I, I put it on as just background like while well, we decide what else to watch, but we just watched the whole thing. <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, a heck of a thing. I don't know. <laughs> There's the whole thing with like the, the duck that's his Mr. Pet, quack, Mr. Quack. quack Quack. Yeah. And then at the end, they just fucking drop kick him out of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Quite he literally. Just gets punted. <laughs> they, they come home, they've built like a new thing for him, but like the kid has been missing and, uh, Mr. Quackhack just gets dropped and someone kicks him off frame. <laughs> <laughs> uh, totally nuts. Like, real kitty nightmare fuel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we also rewatched which was lots of fun. Finally got to show it to some friends. Yeah. Finally, uh, after two weeks of trying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next is the big racket. This is a Plizioteski. Ooh, this is a pretty good one. I I really enjoyed this one. Super violent, really fucking crazy, high octane shit, like you want it to be, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this really hot cop, Fabio Testi. He's he's the rogue cop, and he's devilishly handsome. Uh, and he there's this big protection racket in the town i think it's milan and instead of like going after strip clubs and stuff like that they're just going after every little shop and restaurant to sort of build up and just take over the entire city right and just using harsh violence and intimidation tactics to get what they want because at that level it's pretty easy to do it Mm -hmm. and they just have like a gang of teens that are expendable the foot clan yeah, and obviously there's someone who's working for, like, working against them in government, and there's, you know, uh, the the system, basically the script won't let him stop them. Because uh, <laughs> there are some plates, some points where he definitely has stuff on them that they just kind of throw out for no real reason. There, there's a part where, like, he catches them in the act of pouring gasoline and piling up chairs and starting to burn a restaurant down and they start a fight with him and he still can't keep them in jail and they they just say <laughs> like no well, you've got no evidence I'm like you have so much evidence <laughs> yeah, it doesn't count though because you you didn't <laughs> I move the goalposts right it is a a system thing where it's just like the system is it won't let them uh stop the crime because it is they, these films are kind of political and they, they are like right wing in a way where they're like oh it's a crime apocalypse and the system isn't stopping these criminals but 
right the good guy with the gun can do it the good guy with a gun can do it uh and he he eventually gets kicked off the police force because he just keeps going after it and uh, <laughs> uh, uh the uh, all sorts of people's lives are destroyed along the way there's tons of crazy fucking gunfights and he puts together a suicide squad and they go on a massacre. They find out where the meeting's going to be and they just like hide in the rafters and there's like a 40 minute fucking crazy gunfight. This is amazing. Rules. That sounds awesome. Totally rips. Uh, next is D-A-R-Y-L. Daryl. <laughs> I can't uh, hear that name and not hear that. The name has been ruined. Uh, yeah. At, uh, so it's an acronym. He is the data analyzing robot youth life form. Okay. Uh, cyborg kid. <laughs> uh, he, he gets out of... Uh, there, there's a laboratory and he escapes, but he loses his memory. And uh, Michael McKeon adopts him. <laughs> uh, oh he's in uh, he's I in like spinal tap <laughs> i think he's uh, in better call saul yeah probably uh he's in clue he was mr green in clue okay yeah yeah the the cia guy the guy who uh was not gay <laughs> right right <laughs> this whole deal <laughs> uh so he, he kind of they sort of adopt him and he has a robot brain so he can do anything he he's an incredible baseball player uh he can beat any video game with his brain so there's like him mastering pole position because it's the 80s and you got to do video game tie-in of course uh, of course steals a stealth bomber later on hmm. <laughs> uh because ultimately the the government comes looking for him and they take him back. And then it's like, ah, this program is run its course, destroy him. <laughs> Obviously he has to escape again. And yeah, you know, it's one of those weird eighties kids movies where the peril is excessively high at times. We're just like, <laughs> this seems like a little bit too much for the audience. It's otherwise clearly aiming for Cause it's pretty dopey and young aimed. Hmm. Uh, but you know, kind of fun. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> Very eighties. I believe the director went on to direct Free Willy. <laughs> oh my God, Free Willy! Uh, I watched that in theaters. I was so excited. I don't know what the fuck. <laughs> I, I think I, I I never saw it in theaters. I believe I saw it on the last day of school one year. <laughs> mm. <laughs> the perfect way to see it. I guess. <laughs> Next is La Maldicción de la Laroña, Curse of the Crying Woman. Uh, the classic Mexican folktale, the La Laroña. Uh, but more just like there's a big spooky castle and it's haunted with everything. <laughs> <laughs> the, the lady's ancestor is La Laroña, but she moves into this castle and she's haunted, obviously. There's the eyeless ghost of her ancestors. Like, when you turn 25, you're going to become me. 25? Uh, oh, Jesus. Yeah. It's coming up fast. So her birthday yeah. is, like, key element in the movie. Oh, God. Uh, and just 
it's a boo haunted house it's every single element uh, that you want in a spooky house you got big rubber bats you got skeletons cobwebs everywhere there's a basement full of old rotting torture devices there's a uh, big spooky cages and there's a bunch of there's a hungry pack of dogs uh, uh great danes who live in the yard and there's a witch and yeah you know <laughs> it's it's all about just there's all of this stuff and you're kind of enjoying the atmosphere of it <laughs> nice nice and that hey, comes make the wall bleed yeah uh and th that is the that's the final one the mexico macabre box so that completes a stack uh one of the resolutions going to complete a couple stacks this month and two to three I haven't decided okay on cool. which uh and next and last is Ratman. Ratman. Did you ever see the mid '90s train wreck of a movie, uh, The Island of Doctor Moreau? That version, the one with Brando. No. Oh no, I, that's '90s. I thought that was older. Mid '90s. I've heard about it. Notorious, just like a crazy disaster of a movie where. Uh, the original director, it just got out of his control because it was this pissing contest between Kilmer and Brando as the two leads and these two just big personalities. Uh, Is this the one where he showed up super wasted with a bucket on his head and he's like, yeah, I think the character would wear a bucket on his head. Correct. That is That, is the <laughs> that one. really happened. Yes, that is <laughs> oh, this shit. movie. And I one thought of it his... was a... <laughs> No, that that is absolutely true. That is the thing that he okay. decided, and he has a bucket on his head in this movie. One of his <laughs> other stipulations was he wanted to have this little guy dressed like him, who is the tiniest oh. man in the world. Oh, a this mini is, me. He was the inspiration for mini me. <laughs> That's that oh. was the joke. It was it was a parody of that. Oh, so, fuck. That's <laughs> yeah. I never knew that. So background, because Nelson De La Rosa is the world's tiniest man, or at that time, I think he was known as the world's tiniest man. Uh, this is his film debut, Ratman. He is the Ratman. <laughs> oh, okay. It's a Dominican Republic movie made by, I think, an Italian crew. Uh, I, I feel like I've maybe seen some of the other stuff by this director, but uh, you know, he's a bioengineering experiment. They They've engineered this rat man and he's going to win the nobel prize he's sure and then obviously he gets away rat man gets out and then he's just eating people's faces all over the place oh what a jerk <laughs> the effects are so bad <laughs> <laughs> uh the plot doesn't exist there's some fashion models they keep <laughs> being near jungle and then you know they get rat manned <laughs> um there's this lady who's looking for her sister who's working in the jungle and the police keep bringing her in every time some blonde girl gets killed and to identify the body, but they don't do any other work because like, <laughs> and she even calls them on like, why did you bring me here to look at some dead body? You didn't even look at fingerprints or anything or ID. You just brought me here to look at this person. I don't know who this is. They do it twice. <laughs> uh, yeah, bizarre. Pretty bad, but, you know, I was laughing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so those are our 12 picks uh, for our first pick in 2024. What do you think? All right. Uh, well, 
Uh, let's see. Since it's come up a couple times now, I'm and both times you made it sound interesting. I'm definitely wanting to pick Prime Cut. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go with that. And I'm interested in the Big Racket. Big just Racket a, is pretty about red. A, something about a 40-minute shootout is I just like, what I want. It's what I want in a movie. Yeah, I feel like that's probably accurate. It's a big, big old shootout at the end of the movie. <laughs> it's It's a lot. Nice. All right, so Prime Cut and The Big Racket uh, should be fun. Action-packed, some big 70s action, both American and Italian. Yep. I think they might even be the same year. No, 72 and 76. Oh, oh well. Uh, So for our main pick, I'm doing the pick. It's my pick this week. (laughs) Oh, yes, and it's... Oh, wait, first, I I forgot. Uh, Additions to the stacks. Oh, yes. Uh, this is going to be a little bit tough because I don't have the list because Letterboxd is down. But let me just do a quick check again to see if it works. Because we've been talking for like 20 minutes or something. Uh, no, no, it's it doesn't work. <laughs> so our additions are, uh, first up is Charlie Victor Romeo. Uh, CVR cockpit mm. uh, voice recorder. Oh, okay. Okay. So it is a series of like black box theater uh, renditions of actual plane crashes recovered from the black box. Oh. So like using all the actual dialogue and replicating what happened, but doing as sort of like a little blackout theater thing. Um, interesting, and it's, and it's in 3D. What? Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, I can't watch it in 3D. <laughs> uh, it's like it's got the blue and red 3D glasses. <gasps> oh, I'm totally gonna do that if we ever pick this movie. <laughs> I have never used those. I want to. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, oh, <laughs> that just made it go up from a little interesting to oh hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm super interested. I, I like I I do find uh, aviation accents to be really interesting. Uh, next one in the Vinegar Syndrome Lost Picture Show box uh, is What's Love? Baby, which... don't hurt me. <laughs> It's it's like a movie that was made across like 14 years. I think it was started in the 70s and then finished in the 80s. Mostly starring porn stars of both eras. uh, And made by directors who directed a lot of pornography. Uh, But it's not porn. Uh, It's just sort of them talking about sex and sexuality. Uh, From what I hear, it's totally bizarre. Like totally incoherent uh but fascinating mm. in a way all right uh next one is uh in in the sunny chiba set is one called karate for life which <laughs> my okay. understanding is it's the third one in a series <laughs> it's like the third part in a trilogy oh okay <laughs> uh and i don't have the other ones i think the first one's called <laughs> karate bullfighter uh i don't know so this guy called oyama i believe uh, let me just pull up something on it real quick. Uh, yeah, he's martial arts master Mas Oyama. 
uh, but it's it is the third in the trilogy. Oh, all right. Well, that's uh, that's useful. That's a great uh, great collection they put together there. A very strange collection that Shout does. I, I, Shout really frustrates me because they have a lot of interesting stuff and good properties, but their prices are absurd. And there's a lot of stuff to do. They won't send to Canada. Like they, oh, they have, yeah. they have a lot of U.S. exclusive stuff, which is just weird. Lame, real lame. And you can only get it on their website, and shipping from their website is just dog shit. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> anyway, next edition is Blood on Her Name. This is a modern neo noir. It's Ooh. about this lady who accidentally kills a dude and then she kind of panics and so she covers it up then she feels really bad about it and she decides she needs to bring his body back to his family oh is obviously going to make a big problem for her trying to cover it up and get away yeah that's oh oh, she's gonna try to get away with it and bring the body back I think that's the idea. <laughs> so now he, at this point, you have to pick one or the other. You got to make a choice. You yeah. can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, it doesn't seem totally viable. Uh, next, from the same set as the Big Racket, we have another uh, another Plitzioteski by the same director, Enzo G. Castellari, uh, also starring uh, Fabio Testi, Hot Cop. Uh, cool. It's the heroin busters. Oh, I wonder what. I, well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I was going to say I wonder what they bust, but given the titles for these things, sometimes, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's him going a, going up against drug smugglers uh, in Rome this time. Oh, okay. Uh, he's working with an Interpol agent from the UK, played by <gasps> David. Hemmings. It could be Santo. Oh, David Hemmings. Okay, uh, but yeah, kind of cool. Uh, last edition is we got a new box set, uh, Cushing Curiosities, and oh. the the first film in it is Tender Dracula, where uh, he plays an actor who's played Dracula for years, and now he really wants to switch over to playing like leading man romantic roles, and there's there's like a party at his place and they're gonna like evaluate whether he can be capable of doing that kind of role or something it seems like it's a sex farce but also Mm. he's a vampire actually oh (laughs) now now cushing that that's peter cushing yeah okay cool yeah new severin set of um five different obscure uh cushing films that that he starred in as well as i think five or six episodes of the bbc sherlock holmes tv series where Ooh. he's sherlock holmes oh interesting that sounds that'll be fun to dig into yeah i think that'll be kind of cool much like their christopher lee sets the euro crypt of christopher lee one and two which were both a lot of fun right on right on uh but our pick for this week my pick for this week uh is last year at Marienbad. Uh, this is. I don't a, think I've heard of this one. It is a '60s French film, Nouvelle, Nouvelle Vague kind of thing. Uh, it's by Alan Rene, and it it's about this resort, Marienbad, 
and there's it's just this huge empty resort. I guess it's maybe kind of supposed to be quasi off season, or okay. maybe it's early in the season. There's a lot of questions. <laughs> right. All right. <laughs> it's it's not uh there there's not any one reality. It's kind of like The Shining, maybe. Oh. But without oh. the danger, like there or it's it's not as there's not murder. It just seems to be this haunted place where time doesn't exist. I love. I'm interested. <laughs> I love yeah. that idea. So it's this beautiful giant hotel. And there's just a few people wandering aimlessly about it. And the there's like a central three people. There's there our main guy that we're following around. And there's this woman who he's sort of infatuated with. And they keep encountering each other. And he thinks he met her last year at Marionbad. But he's not really sure. And he's trying to remember where they know each other from. And it can't quite come together for him. And she's got this other suitor who keeps coming and trying to intimidate him away hmm. all right or maybe or something <laughs> or something <laughs> uh yeah great film one i haven't rewatched in a couple of years but one i really love so yeah last year at marion bad all right so it'll be that as well as prime cut and the big racket next week it should be lots of fun a real chill quiet one in our first and a couple totally fucking crazy action ones in the second <laughs> i i somehow knew you were gonna pick something i mean i got a chiller <laughs> yeah so it's a real art house kind of thing yeah right? that's that's the vibe <laughs> oh man I'm, I'm looking forward to it all right cool uh so do you have any last thoughts for our first uh episode recorded in 2024 with the red, blue, apes of cannibal <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's con constantly running through my head. Like, I think it was uh, New Year's Day when I woke up in the morning. Uh, I woke up and just sitting there looking at the ceiling. With the red, blue, apes of cannibal isle. With the red, blue, apes of cannibal isle. Just running over just and over and over, over in my and head. Over again. That's the whole thing. They, they just say it so many times. <laughs> oh exhausting uh but yeah uh should be fun next week and we'll see you there <laughs>